lifestyle. Sports cards and we live now. Jeremy Lee in the building and every guest that you ever needed. Sports cards after hours keep the hobby heated. Updates hobby talk like you never seen it. Sports cards live and I could ever beat it. Sports cards is a lifestyle. Sports cards and we live now. Welcome to another episode of Sports Cards Live with your host, Jeremy Lee. All right, welcome everybody to episode number 179 of Sports Cards Live. It is Saturday night, March the 25th, 2023. My name is Jeremy Lee. I would like to thank Matt Burrows, Tomcat Sports Cards, for joining us last week on the show. Great episode. You can check that out on the channel tomorrow on Sports Cards Live. We have the at 9.30 Eastern, the PWCC Weekly Hockey Auction Coverage with my co-host Josh Madigan of the Hockey Cards Gong Show, and our special guest will be Mitch Grotman of Grotman Cards. No shows on the channel at all next weekend. I will be at the Mint Collective in Las Vegas at the MGM. Cannot wait and look forward to seeing as many of you there as possible. If you are there and you see me, this bald dome right here, come say hello, flag me down. I really want to talk to as many viewers of the show as I possibly can couple of sponsor shout outs guys please join over 300,000 people who have already downloaded the center stage app across both ios and android for quick comps and card management features the app is the fastest and most accurate of card shows or to help you at home to price your cards build organize and share your collection with your friends and find other collectors to follow using their new social sharing features they have some exciting new partnerships coming soon Please stay tuned and join me in supporting the great team they have and the innovation they are undertaking Center Stage app. Also, please, this is kind of funny, but this is what we say. Use protection, practice safe swaps. Veriswap is an app and middleman service that lets you securely trade cards through the mail. Every transaction up to a million dollars in value is fully insured by their guarantee. In order to use Veriswap, simply upload your inventory Make trade, partial trade, or full cash offers, and negotiate with the thousands of traders already on the platform. Check them also out on iOS and Android. And as part of a special offer, your first trade on Veriswap is only $1. There's a referral link in the video description for your convenience. Also, sort of an I've been saying this the last few times, but in honor of tonight, be sure to check out hobbynewsdaily.com for your daily dose of hobby news and entertaining content. It is a collaboration of various content creators, original writers, and is launching on April 1st, right around the corner. Want to thank all of our loyal viewers, listeners, subscribers. If you're not yet subscribed, please take a moment and go hit the subscribe button and turn on notifications so you know exactly when Sports Cards Live will be starting. As always, your comments, your questions are in play. Leighton Sheldon will be joining us for the Vintage Spotlight in about half an hour. So let's get to the episode. Tonight's guest started in the hobby in 1982 at the age of four years old. And in 1993, he set up at his first card show. At 18 years old, his collection got stolen, but he stuck with it. He started consulting in the hobby in 2017 and started his podcast, The Sport, Sports Ball for Baltimore, in 2021. And he's launching Hobby News Daily on April the 1st. His favorite teams are the Baltimore Orioles and the Ravens. His favorite athlete is Baltimore-born Babe Ruth. Originally from and currently hailing from, you guessed it, Baltimore, Maryland. Let's bring him out. Danny Black, welcome to Sports Cards Live. How are you tonight, my friend? 
Well, I feel like you've given away basically everything in my life is uh, is done. I got your permission before we started. Yes, no, thank you. Glad to be here, my friend. Absolutely. Well, it's it's good to have you, Danny. And uh, you know, you have been on with me before, but on uh, other shows that we've done over the past little while. And um, you know, in in full disclosure, I had somebody else lined up for the show tonight. They couldn't make it sort of last minute, and I wanted to uh, you know thank you for being able to to pinch hit tonight. And when I was realizing, oh, I you know, well, let's find somebody to sub in. It just made so much sense to have you because Hobby News Daily project you've been working pretty hard on for several months now uh i know because i communicate with you about it and you've been working hard on it and it's launching like what are we six days away so i thought well what a great opportunity to really share with the audience uh and the chat what it is this is going to be what they can look forward to and of course learn a little bit about you so before we get into all that stuff about hobby news daily i do want you to kind of tell the story about how your collection was stolen You've worked for some pro baseball teams. Can you just sort of take us through your history of collecting and working for the teams and kind of right through until today? Sure, uh, absolutely. So my friends call me a cross between George Costanza and Forrest Gump in this sports world. Uh, I started as a dealer very young when my parents would drop me off at the old mall or VFW show and uh, did that for uh, several years. And uh, one one day I was driving home from a show, it was a couple hours away, and uh, got out of my car to put gas in the car and turned around and somebody jumped in the car and drove it away. Um, I, I was not out of the car for 30 seconds. And um, to this day, that was my entire collection, my show collection, my PC, everything gone. Um, so that, that, was, that was interesting. But I, I love sports and I stayed with it. Um, like you said, uh, after college, I worked for the Atlanta Braves, came home, of course, worked for the Baltimore Orioles, and uh, never got out of cards. For the Orioles, one of the things I was able to do was to manage their sports art gallery, which also had memorabilia. So that exposed me to that side of the business. And from there, I got back into brokering, working with some of my old clients, Um got to see Cal's retirement and I was there for, for all that. So that was a cool time to be with the Orioles. And I just, I, I knew that's what I wanted to do. So even when I went into private business after that, it was only a matter of time until I was back full time uh, in the hobby. So you kind of just run right past my whole collection got stolen. I mean, <laughs> how, how, what sort of emotional impact is that? How, listen, when I was 18, if my collection got stolen, I would have been devastated by the age of 18, for me, that would have been 1990. I would. I had a really. I had a pretty solid collection by 1990. I was already working on all the thousand point men in NHL history, and I was getting there. You know, if that got stolen, I would have been devastated. How? How were you devastated? Or oh, okay, we'll start from scratch. Like, how did that work out for you? In your this head? is going to sound overly dramatic for for baseball cards and sports cards. I'm still devastated. Um, yeah. I mean, you know, it, 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 listen, there's life and death issues out there. So let, let's keep this in perspective. However, devastated. Um, I was angry for years. Um, I'm probably still angry. Um, but you know what? It, it's good to know there's a pawn shop somewhere with a great collection, I guess. <laughs> of your cards? Yeah, that's right. Nice right, right. That's what I'm saying. I'm looking for a silver lining here. Um, now, I... I uh, 
I, I've never really gotten over it. And it took me a long time actually to build up the PC. It's easier for me to deal with other cards than it is to keep my own cards at this point. Yeah, that, that makes sense. So talk a little bit now about working for the Braves, the Orioles. You know, did that did that make you more of a baseball fan? Did it make you more of a collector? Uh, or did it take your mind off of the hobby? It changed the way I looked at sports. Once you get to know people are people and it doesn't matter how good they are or how much money they make, they're, they're still people. It definitely just changes the way you, I think you evaluate players. Uh, half my love is very much in the vintage world. Half my love is very much in the prospect world. Um, and so now I look at prospects a little bit more as full human beings. You know, you know, there's something, you know, either in between the ears or not in between the ears. And, you know, and what chances that may or may not have is who they are as people. So from that perspective, definitely with prospects, it changed. Um, for everything else, I think I enjoy these more teams now. I think I enjoy a good storyline better. I enjoy the sports itself better. I don't have to, you know, throw stuff against the wall for my teams anymore to enjoy a game, although that is still negotiable. Still helps, yeah. So, yeah, it's interesting. You you mentioned that, you know, you get to know some of these players as people. That's the one thing that the hobby and collectors we don't have. We can read stats. We can read box scores. We can read headlines. We can listen to coaches and other players, you know, talk in the middle of the game or after the game or on SportsCenter or ESPN, TSN up here, whatever whatever it is. But what we don't know about players is what's really going on in their head, what's going on in their real life. And these things impact their performance. And we, I feel like the hobby often feels like, you know, you have a, a prospect like Zion comes out onto the basketball scene a few years ago. It's almost as if the hobby feels that a player like that is a robot. They're going to come in. They're going to do exactly what they're expected to do. And, and you're going to be able to rely on if you're going to deploy your, your money, your capital into cards of that player. And the fact of the matter is things happen that you are, that are out of our control that are, that might be based on their psychology. I mean, John Morant is an example of something that you weren't expecting to happen that has a direct impact on the hobby and, uh, you know, I don't want to, this isn't what this is about, but it makes me realize, you know, this is why, one of the reasons why I focus most of my sports card expenditures into players that are retired. Not that I don't collect that, some active players too, I do, but I focus on the more, more of the retired players. And, you know, that's definitely one of the, one of the reasons. What about you? What are you actively interested in collecting? What are you collecting these days? Personally, I, I love collecting vintage. Um, I'm definitely somebody who's trying to rebuild their vintage collection. I am working on the 57 top set right now um, in a very low grade. Just, to, you know, I've wanted to put that set together for a long time. Um, and I PC some silly stuff. I PC uh, the Bill Ripken error card variations, um, all, all the black box, black scribble, white box, white scribble, uh, all that fun. Uh, and then because I worked for uh, the Braves, I, I do collect the Maddox rookie collection and um, making my way through that starting rotation and, and do those runs. Um, and then I don't know if it's hard to see behind me, but I the Orioles moved to Baltimore in 1954, and the 54 set happens to be very, very colorful. Um, and it, it – it is one of the things I'm proud of is putting that together. So there are uh, the, having the 54 Orioles team set 
um, was one of the was one of my projects. That's pretty awesome. The '57 Tops baseball set. So that that's got the Robinsons, right? Brooks and Frank. It's got the Mazeroski rookie. Well, and Brooks and Frank are both from were both Orioles. Well, there you go. I mean, what a what a wonderful set to collect. And that I, I do enjoy that set myself. I think it's one heck of a a good looking set. So let's go to uh, some comments. We've got lots of people joining us. It's good to see everyone. Of course, Rich Klein, uh, one of the you know we taught you. You hear the term OG. You know, I've heard the term recently about OG content creator, someone who started in 2017. Like, I'm after that, so I'm certainly not OG. But an OG content creator did not start in 2017. The OG content creator started, you know, more in the late 2000s, early 2000s, as far as YouTube goes, I would say. But there were content creators in the 80s. You know, Dr. Beckett, Rich Klein's been writing blogs for decades. I, I, I've been aware of Rich's ramblings uh, going way back. Uh, so anyway, I just want to shout out to Rich. He's a true hobby OG and uh, just a great guy. If you ever see him at a card show, he frequents the Dallas show. Make sure you stop and say hello to Mr. Rich Klein. Mark Santucci has joined us. Mark, good to see you as always. Vintage card collector. You are excused for missing the last few. Glad to have you back. Jake Dahl is in the house. 90s hockey collector. Collector's dream. Daniel, what's going on? Jeff Hart is here. It's always fun going through the comments, Danny, and seeing all the people that are past that have been past guests on the show. Michael Stone, what is going on? Everything is good. Uh, we, yeah, we'll talk about tag another time. Now is not tonight is not the night, but all is good at tag. And uh, what, you know, subscribe to the mailing list, and you will hear what you need to hear. Todd McDonald. Thank you so much, Todd. Great to see you. Victor, the rookie card specialist, another past guest. Good to see you, Victor. Joe Wilson says, went to my first show today, local show in PA, got former former Eagles linebacker Jeremiah Trotter's auto on my PC Eagles card box. Very cool. And now whatnot. Hobby is alive. Very good to see you, Joe Wilson. Mark wants to know, Danny, do uh, do you like the Washington Capitals as well as the Orioles and Ravens or just the Orioles and Ravens? Baltimore used to have the Capitals uh, affiliate, the Baltimore Skipjacks. So I have a slight affinity for the Capitals. I have my only goalie, only the goalie jersey or sweater. And I was at the Red Wings beating them in the in the Stanley Cup finals, but I don't root for them anymore. You don't root for And they're, they're a pretty good team, Alex Ovechkin and the goal run. And I root for, I root for Ovechkin. I'm the, I, he's been around since I was a child, so I have to. You have to root for Ovechkin. He's been, yeah, he's been around for 18 years there already. It's pretty crazy how long he's been around. What is up, Baz? Good to see you. Adam Palmer in the house. Adam, good to see you. Chris C says, just found a 22 retail tops update box today. Well, enjoy that for sure. Enjoy it. Jeff Morris, good to see you, Jeff. Danny went to the Babe Ruth Museum in Baltimore just before the pandemic. Absolutely amazing. Very good to hear, Jeff, and thank you for joining. Good evening, Yelia. Good to see you. Michael Stone wants to know, do you own any Babe Ruths, Danny? Um, I would love to tell you I had a whole bunch of Babe Ruths, but no originals. No, not not currently. Not current. On the topic of players and psychology, Rich Klein says, great take. Sometimes when players have issues, i.e. Daryl Porter, too much drugs, alcohol, or Dwight Evans, uh, terrible illness, which killed him. Both of those guys had their best career years. Yeah, you just never know what can happen. Joe Perot has joined us. 
Orioles great Jim Palmer won 20 plus games eight times, 79 to 19, 1970 to 80, sometimes overlooked, but perhaps the best pitcher of the 70s. Let's talk about Jim Palmer for a second, Danny, because he's a player. I mean, I remember, you know, going to junior high in the 80s and my friend Austin, who I mentioned last week on the show, funny, he'd never come up. Now he comes up two weeks in a row. He had the, he had a Jim Palmer card and I thought it was the coolest looking card ever. And it took me a while to realize it was actually his second year card, which isn't a bad thing, but it wasn't the rookie card. What about you, Jim Palmer? How important is he to you in the history and in Baltimore? Best pitcher in Baltimore history by far. Um, I don't think it's even close. Three Cy Young awards. I think it was a 286 career ERA, 268 lifetime wins. If I have that correct, I'm sure somebody will correct me if I'm wrong, but uh, yeah, I mean, you know, you had the best team of the seventies in the late sixties and he was the ace all the way through and even pitched on the 83 world series team. And he was an underwear model. So, I mean, you rarely get the full package, um, you know, in a player, you know, who can do, you know, the Joe Namath, I would say of pitching. Perfect. Well said, well said. Uh, Sports card nation podcast, John Newman, welcome to the show. Also, a uh, a contributor to Hobby News Daily. We'll get more into that later. Uh, says a couple of mentions on the screen, which is a little ironic because you and John have a podcast called Card Mentions. We'll talk about that in a little bit as well. Rich Klein says, and then other people can't play before a personal issue, so everyone reacts differently as well. Definitely. Frank Estella, good to see you. Hockey Cards Up is here. <laughs> Jeff Moore says, Skip Jacks with Mitch Wilson, greatest hockey fighter of the 1980s. There we go. And Rich Klein shouts out Jeff Morris, another OG content creator. Well, if anyone doesn't know Jeff Morris, this Jeff Morris here uh, worked for Pinnacle, worked for set for many, well, at least three or four card companies, was uh, really in the 90s. If you collected cards, you, Jeff Morris uh, was a part of your life. I think we can we can say that quite easily. Chris C says, hoping to trade my modern for a 68 Venezuelan Ryan, but it's going to be tough to find. Very cool. Uh, pursuit for you, Chris C. And Michael Stone says, is Frank Robinson the most undervalued player in the hobby, still the only player to win the MVP in both leagues? What are your thoughts on that, Danny? I think he's extremely undervalued. Is he the most? I don't know off the top of my head, but he's certainly on the short list when I recommend to clients. Um, I think he's absolutely uh, very undervalued. Uh, he was 586 lifetime home runs and you know, the two MVPs, triple crown, uh, World Series champion. It just there were so many good players in that in those decades. It was hard to stand out. But, yeah, he deserves it. He deserves it. And he's got a great rookie card, 1957 tops. Absolutely. I got mine coming back uh, soon. I was lo- loaning it out and I'm ready to get it back on the shelf. Oh, so cool. I, I have a copy myself. I'm very happy and proud of it's a it's a beautiful card. Let's talk about content now, sort of what you are up to in the world of content. Uh, Sports Balt. I mean, that is your name on Instagram. That is your, it seems to me, it's uh, the name of your consulting company or it's part of the name of your consulting business. Talk a bit about what is Sports Balt and let's just kind of talk about the different content pieces that you're involved in right now. But start with Sports Balt, please. Yeah, I mean, the long story is I was doing radio in Baltimore uh, on sports collectibles, and I quickly realized that that I needed an LLC, and I said, you know, I'm talking Baltimore sports, so I'll be Baltimore sports collectibles. Um, And that was way too long for everything in social media because I knew nothing at the time about social media 
or social media marketing. Um, so I had to find something that had an available website and sports bolt just kind of, I loved it. Maybe, maybe you don't, I loved it. So I, I've run with sports bolt. Um, and, and no, I do trade as Baltimore sports collectibles, but I am sports bolt. Yeah. Are you assuming I don't like it? <laughs> you made a smirk and, and I got that look and I've gotten the look before. Um, it's okay. I don't dislike. No, it's hey, listen. There's a there, there are all sorts of handles and names out there. It's very simple. Sports Balt. I mean, Balt short for Baltimore. It's uh, I, I think it's I think it makes good sense for you for sure. Well, I will thank you. I will say the funniest thing is anytime I don't capitalize it, I get called sports bait online. So I've been introduced as sports bait, and I appreciate you getting it correct on your show. So. You're welcome. <laughs> and so sports Bolt came out, came out of doing the radio show. It became my private brokerage business and it became a lot of the behind the scenes. And it, and it was the podcast that I started. It was my first podcast. Those first 20 terrible episodes. Everybody does that. You hope nobody ever sees. Uh, we're all sports ball. And I still try to do as many as I can. Uh, but then I found that I had a lot of fun talking with other people. Um, you know, and it's fine to interview people, you know, but I really want my friends around. That's why I like being on your show and I like having you on my show. And, you know, I do all my shows with my friends and, and, um, that's what I've decided to try to spend time doing. So I do, uh, you know, if you, the, the rundown is hobby hotline, um, you know, hobby think tank card menches, um, which are all group shows or, or with other people because I, I, the hobby is, uh, about camaraderie it is about friendship i some would say the hobby is about the people who yes. would say that i wonder i don't know but he's a good guy um, well, your, your partner on card mentions john newman is known for saying that it's his tagline for his for his uh for his podcast the hobby is the people and there's there i mean how can you argue that that is just that is just the truth now the hobby is the people it's more than just the people but it's certainly the people they make it uh all the friends we've we've made over the years have uh, you know doing this and even you know being a content creator, uh, bringing people on the show. You know I've been fortunate. I know you've been fortunate too to just meet so many people. I mean you and I wouldn't know each other if neither of us were doing content, uh, or if we did, we wouldn't even know we knew each other. We'd maybe just you know walk by each other at a card show. But now because of this, uh, you know we're able to call each other friends, and that's really a wonderful thing. Hobby Hotline. So Hobby Hotline's been around for I'm gonna say. Over three years, maybe, maybe I think right around three years. I, th I, think, I, I think we're just starting four. You're right. Yeah. Just starting year four. I was a part of Hobby Hotline for a good, I think about 18 months or so. I believe I left Hobby Hotline just before you did. Hobby Hotline has grown to be uh, a collaborative show Saturday mornings and Tuesday nights, either on the Hobby Hotline YouTube channel uh, also on the Bench Clear Media Network. I, I'm not sure what nights it's on each one, but you can find them both there. Right now, I feel like like the group, you guys have like 20 different people that will sub in and host three or four people per episode. Um, how's Hobby Hotline going? How many hosts are there? Uh, tell us a little bit about what's going on there. Hobby Hotline is fantastic. Right now, uh, literally uh, just revamped uh, to Saturday mornings on Bench Clear Media. And the first Tuesday of every month, uh, just directly to Hobby Hotline first. And so we will have those all covered. And we're rotating uh, 15 different hosts. So everybody will be on every month at least once. 
And, you know, we talk about topics of the day. We talk about, you know, what's on our minds. It's a lot of people with different perspectives. Um, Rich Klein was on today, so that makes it a great show always. Um, and, uh, you know, it, it, it's fun. And once again, these are these are good hobby people. These are people that a lot of times have their own shows. You know, like you said, you know, when you were on, a lot of us have our own content, but this is a way to come together. Yeah, that that's really cool, and and it's just it just makes it so much more fun for all of us content creators out there. Hobby Think Tank, what's Hobby Think Tank? A new a new one, relatively new for you. Uh, tell us what that's all about. Yeah, Hobby Think Tank was, was our idea of kind of uh, four guys, you know, in in a bar had a really uh, silly, intelligent conversation, um, but but we we do it two at a time. So on Bench Clear Media, Mike Moynihan, John Keating, Mike from Junk Wax Hero. And myself, uh, two of us every Thursday will debate some topic that entertains us. Um, the last one that we did was, you know, what if we designed the million dollar card store? So, you know, we, we just take something entertaining and just kind of roll with it. Um, not particularly news based, but, but more about just enjoying collecting in the hobby uh, from that perspective. Now, next up, and we're this is this is uh, this is hobby content about hobby content right now, everybody. But that's okay. This is inter- at least I'm finding it interesting. I hope all sixty plus of you are finding it interesting too. Uh, and I'm glad to get caught up on this stuff. Card menches. Tell us about card menches, please. Card menches is is literally uh, if if Jeremy, like when you and I do our late night phone calls and we just goof off. If we just started rolling, you know, and, and made that into a show, John Newman and I decided that we have uh, too many goofy late night phone calls and we might as well turn it into a show. So Card Menches is every other Friday. Um, we we do uh, roughly a half an hour to 45 minutes. We cover whatever we want to talk about in the hobby, as serious or as silly as we want. And we talk a little bit about uh, the, the, the gambling side of sports in a little bit of a fun, lighthearted way. Uh, just kind of give our opinion on what's going on in the sports world. Um, and it's called Card Menches because it gives it a little bit of a Yiddish twist on a Friday night. And and and, and what's better for two nice Jewish boys than to talk baseball cards and sports cards? <laughs> right. I love it. That That's awesome. Okay. Let's go back to some comments. Vintage Card Collector has, a, I think, a fun question. Thoughts on the recent chatter that low-grade vintage might be a bubble waiting to burst. So I'm aware of this recent chatter. I think there was uh, uh, a, a particular hobbyist appeared on a particular podcast. I I don't remember the hobbyist nor the podcast right now. I apologize to both those people slipping my mind. Uh, mentioned that they just feel that with all the attention on low-grade vintage, that this could be a bubble ready to burst. And I, it's, it's an interesting question by Vintage Card Collector. What are our thoughts? I have some thoughts. I'm going to share them right now, Danny, and then I'm going to ask you to share yours. But my thoughts are, like anything, if there is a lot of attention on something and the values go up, there's going to be more supply. It's just the way it, it's just the way economics and the world works. People will realize, oh, maybe I can lock in some profit on this card as a collector or not, really. And maybe I'm not the only one thinking this way. There could be 15 people thinking this way and all of a sudden more, you know, PSA twos, threes, fours, and fives of cards from the 30s, 40s, 50s, and 60s are going to hit the market. Well, now you've got more supply. That is going to mean that the prices are naturally going to come down a little bit. However, the caveat, I think, in this is 
who's going to sell their cards? Like, are you going, I know I'm not going to sell mine just because they go up in value because more people want them. I'm probably going to be glad that more people are thinking the way I'm thinking and that I'm part of a bigger fraternity now. And I've got more like-minded people. We all, we're social beings. We all want to know that we're not alone in our pursuits. So I don't know if it's going to be a bubble. I feel like there's been people collecting low-grade vintage. That might be the number one area of the hobby forever is low-grade vintage. So I I don't see it, there being some big burst of a bubble and values really tumbling, but we may just see... Maybe we'll see more and more people getting into it. Maybe we'll see a few people leaving or a few people cashing out. But is that going to cause uh, a bubble to burst? I think I think it's a very extreme term to use bubble for this because it isn't something new. It's been around for so long and people have been collecting low-grade vintage for many years. What are your thoughts, Danny? Uh, I agree with most of what you said. My first thought was low-grade vintage is the best name for a high school band I've ever heard. I love so- it. It, absolutely. I uh, hope there's somebody out there who goes by low grade vintage. Um, I, I don't see it going anywhere. If you look at the highest, you know, eBay sellers, a lot of them, that's their world uh, by volume. Um, I do think there's only so many cards that can come out of addicts at this point because that's true pop control. This is not artificial scarcity. You know, th- this is, this is not, you know, maybe, a, a Honus Wagner find, but, but, you know, there's only so much that I think is still sitting around. And then the question is when we say low grade, what are we really talking? I think a lot of modern collectors may not be familiar with the, you know, vintage collectors are very comfortable in lower numbers. That, and, and so I think sometimes there's a little bit of a misnomer there. And, and I find that uh, more frequently, but uh, no, I, I, I don't think it's a real bubble. And, and, and as far as it popping, um, I mean, look at the prices over the last couple of years. It, it, the vintage is strong. Yeah, I, I think so, too. All right. We're going to go through a few more comments here. Uh, Leighton Sheldon is in the background. Leighton, we'll bring you out in about, give me about five minutes. I want to run through some comments. We're going to do the vintage spotlight. We have some great questions for Leighton tonight. I want to say hello to Jeff McMahon. Uh, now I'm going to work from the bottom up here, guys. 1956 Tops guy, another former guest of the show, Matthew Welcome, says, if PSA 2 Gaudi Ruth cards come down, then I can get some more. I'm certainly not selling. Right? If the values come down, I think the I think we're going to have more buyers. I don't I don't think, I think you, it could have the reverse effect uh, and prove the the equilibrium of, the econ- of, of economics potentially wrong. Goes on to say, I also think the market will always be strong for high eye appeal, no matter the grade. Yep, I completely agree with that. Chris C says, I can't afford high grade vintage, so it's more realistic for anyone who can't buy, who, who can't to buy low grade for sure. Rich Klein, we'll start with this one, says, what I am seeing is low grade stars, which are graded, are too expensive compared to raw cards. I saw today 68 Tops Mantle 2 for $160 asking. If it were raw, it would be about 550 to 100 and that's why some people might think it's a bubble. Fair comments. Thank you, Rich. Jeff Moore says, when you talk about hobby bubbles waiting to burst, I have this image of Kurt Bavacqua in 1976 <laughs> burned in my mind. <laughs> Very nice. Uh, John Newman says, I hope so. I have my wallet ready. And right, like John is not alone. That describes so many of us who are just waiting to be able to buy, as Matthew, 1956 Tops guy says, high, I don't say high grade, 
nice eye appeal, lower grade cards. That's the that's the sweet spot for sure. Rich lets us know that today Hobby Hotline was episode two thirty four. Bench, it's on Bench Clear on Saturdays and Hobby Hotline on Tuesdays. All right, Michael Stone says depending on the card on depending on the card, why the grade is low, no doubt low grade vintage is a play. Yeah, I mean that makes good sense to me. Matthew says the low grade vintage take is is so annoying. The hot take thing is so annoying, right? It's only a take because one person <laughs> said it on one podcast. And then I think I saw someone else say it, like copy it and say, "Is this a thing?" Oh, it might have been on Lucas. I think it was on the Lucas uh, Lucas LeBron's podcast with Cage and Andrew. I believe that's where I saw that. All right, let's uh, let's just go run down here for a moment. Thanks everybody for the. For the comments, uh, Chris C says, I define vintage as anything over 40 years, but I'm sure many disagree. I like that definition myself, Chris, for sure. Colin Murray just sold a Bobby Orr PSA 2 tonight. Lower grade cards will always sell for a bit more than they should because of factoring in the grading fee. Okay, interesting interesting way to look at it, but I, I'm sure it's right. Willie T, could Danny tell us some of the cards that were stolen? Yeah, Danny, give a, tell us a couple of the cards and we'll bring Leighton on right after a couple of the cards that were stolen from you when you're 18 years old I, I meant to ask that earlier Willie thank you for that I've never said this out loud and how about here's the transition um about 489 Ken Griffey Jr. rookies and then everything else was vintage oh my gosh that's a lot of Griffey rookies well, that was when when that was the only card to have was the Griffey rookie. Maybe it wasn't four hundred. Maybe it was you know eighty five of them. But I was gonna. I was convinced I was gonna corner the market on Ken Griffey Juniors. Uh, little yeah, did right. I know that I was never gonna get there. All right. Well, um, sorry for your loss. Still to this day, I mean that's a uh, you know you said earlier that you know well, there's worse things in the world than losing your baseball cards. But you know the hobby is a big part of 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 our lives. Guys like you and me and probably everybody watching right now. Our collections are a big part of our lives. They become they. It's part of our identity to an extent. You know, we love our collections. And um, when I say I'm sorry for your loss, I mean that. I, I truly am. Like I shouldn't. You don't want that to happen to to anybody. Uh, Matthew lets us know it was on Lucas and then on Sports Card Investors. I'm sad I took the bait to engage with the take, but it was so annoying. Bobby Burrell says the bubble may have a slow leak. No pin inside. Ah, uh, yeah, that that makes sense. I like that one right there. Uh, John mentions that 89 tops, Greg Jeffries. Yeah, you probably had a couple of those in there, no? I, I definitely did with Todd Van Poppel, um, but it was it was definitely, let me be clear, it was a heavy vintage collection. It was heavy vintage, yeah. That's yeah. As Chrissy says, that's awful. And Matthew says, this, that is super sad to have the cards stolen, but cornering the market on 89's Griffies <laughs> is hilarious. No doubt about it. Okay. So we're going to bring on Leighton Sheldon. We're going to do what we call the Vintage Spotlight here on Sports Cards Live every Saturday night, a 10-minute segment. We've got one question from Instagram. We've got one question that Danny Black is going to ask. And then if the chat wouldn't mind putting in some some su some suggestions for questions for Leighton, I'm going to pick one of them. And if we get, if we get. So please give us, I'll pick one, maybe two if we have time. And we will let Leighton address them. Let's bring them out. Leighton Sheldon, welcome back to Sports Cards Live. How are you tonight? Oh, very well. Thanks for having me on. Congratulations, Danny, on your new venture. Thank you. Good to see you, my friend. Yeah, great to see you. 
And just let everybody know, you can follow Layton at Layton underscore Sheldon, follow at just underscore collect, and you can listen to Layton's podcast on the podcast platforms. It is called Trading Card Therapy. Not to be confused with a sports card therapist, my other friend, Rob Gerard. These are two different things. Layton's is Trading Card Therapy. Layton. So I'm going to I'm gonna jump right in and give you the first question that I got on Instagram. And this was actually a holdover question from last week. And this came in from my friend, Mark Mader, who wants to know, Layton, what are the two different variants of the 1952 Tops Mickey Mantle and why? Uh, great question, Mark. Appreciate you uh, asking it. So um, there are two distinct variations of the 19 to, uh, 1952 Tops uh, Mickey Mantle. And instead of going through and boring you with every single difference, I'm going to take the easiest four and I'm going to point them out right now. And actually, Jeremy, I'm not sure if you're able to check your phone, but I sent you over two examples. One's a type one, one's a type two. Um, and I think what's really cool is, as your audience is watching, let's have them determine for themselves which one they would like better. And at the end, I'll reveal which type I personally like better. Without further ado, these are the four differences in the Type 1 and Type 2 1952 Tops Mickey Mantle. Um, type 1, the end of the E in Mantle curves upward in Type 1. In the Type 1, there is no blue um, pixel missing to the left of Mantle's eyebrow. The third one is that the solid black border appears all around the Yankees logo around the nameplate right there. And then the fourth one, just to keep it easy, on the back, I wanted to make one mention of something on the back, is the number 311 on type one, the baseball stitches point to the right. So basically for type two, everything is opposite. The end of the E in mantle does not curve upward. The blue pixel is missing on the front of the card, just to the left of his eyebrow. Number three, the bottom border of the Yankee yellow logo is missing the black. And number four, Stitches on the baseball on the number 311 insignia on the back of the card to the numbering actually points to the left. And so as your audience is watching, um, as you're watching, Danny, as you're watching, Jeremy, what is your hot take on which variation you like better and why? Danny, let's start with you. Well, I'm going to plead ignorance here. Um, which, will you tell us which one uh, sold recently? Well, they both sold. So I sent over Jeremy two I, cards. And I like the second one better. One, one of them was a type two. Different grades, but I'm just trying to show the eye appeal. I like the type one would be my personal. So I'm going to put myself in the big frame for a moment here, and I'm going to show the two cards again. So this is the one that has the full border around the Yankees logo, and it has, at the end of the E, it curves upwards. It's also, it has the missing pixel. Is this type one or type two, Layton? Sorry, the type one is the one that definitively has the black border all around the Yankee logo. So, that one does not have the mix, the missing blue pixel to the left. Right. So that's this is the type one. Yep. And yep. then the type two is the is other one I sent you. This one right here. Yep. Yeah. And I know so, that some of your audience, Jeremy, may be watching, and it's a little bit difficult depending on if they're watching on a phone or a smaller laptop. And so if you're looking at these cards in person, and by the way, credit to REA, this is where I took the images from. So, you know, you want to make sure you give proper credit. Um, but if you are looking at both of the cards in person, 
Danny, I think you nailed it. Type one to me, it just looks brighter. It looks more complete. I like that it doesn't have the um, little blip of the blue missing. And, you know, listen, if you're going to spend a lot of money on a card, you should educate yourself, whether it be you're buying a one, two, a three, or a six, or a seven, you should know what you're walking yourself into and know that there is two variations in the 1952 Tops Mickey Mantle. Yeah, no, uh, it's it's something that I wasn't aware of until about a year ago, and I've never owned a 52 Tops Mickey Mantle. I, I, I'd like to own one. For me, Leighton, Danny, chat, it's the Type 1. It's the more complete card. It doesn't have the missing pixel. It has the, the full border around the Yankees logo, and it's got even a little bit more of a Mickey Mantle facsimile signature. So to me, it's the it's it's the proper version. Are either of these considered an error? Like, do we know why there's two versions in the first place? Great question. I didn't do research on that, but my guess or my gut tells me that there is no real reason other than at some point, whether it be on the printing press or in the printing room, things change. But I did spend a bunch of time before I hopped on with you tonight, and I was just doing some research because you had mentioned to me, you know, what the question might be about the mantle. I don't believe, this is what's really interesting, that I see any premiums being paid for the type one versus the type two. So for whatever it's worth, um, you know, I haven't put together a spreadsheet. If you're going to a show and one of them hits you different than the other, the reason is, is because you might like one of the types of the Mantle 1952 Tops card. And so just keep that in mind if you're shopping for one. Very, very good stuff. Well, thank you for that. I find that really fascinating. And again, it's one of those things that like how many people even realize there's two copies and how many people have bought one not knowing that they were buying either a type one or type two and, and at the same time not realizing that there was two versions out there like have do you come across people Leighton and Danny question for you too do you come across people in your consulting Leighton in you and your in, in your in your dealing in your business where you're are you educating people on this on a regular basis Leighton first sure so uh, great question what's interesting is most of the folks who are buying one from me generally don't ask so to be fair they may know and we just don't talk about it but what I find is really interesting is I think the last gentleman, Ian from Florida, that I bought his raw 52 tops mantle. The video is doing really well on our YouTube channel. You can check it out um, on our Just Collect YouTube channel. And he asked me when I went down there, he's like, Leighton, which type of 52 tops mantle I have? And I said, well, you've been doing your research, Ian, because most people don't ask that. But, you know, he went down the rabbit hole. So, um, you know, I think that most people don't really know. And for whatever it's worth, I spent a little bit of time on Heritage's website and REA's website looking at 52 Tops Mantles before your show tonight. They really don't talk about the difference ever within the description of the card. So that should just give you some insight um, as to the current state of the market. But then I'll close with this and I want to hear what Danny's thoughts are. Just because something in the hobby isn't being accounted for now or isn't being practiced now or isn't being appreciated now, just like the seasons, things always tend to change. So just yeah. make sure you're always forward thinking. How about you, Danny? Do you uh, have you do you have any experience with this type one, type two mantle? And and I just want to point out too, uh, as a, someone pointed out here, 
that uh, Jackie Robinson, it's the same thing with Jackie Robinson. There, there's two types. I can actually touch on that. So originally when they were going to print the series, Mantle would have been the first one of the second series. And they had such a run and such popularity originally that that's what created the double print. So it was basically they just started up the machines again and everything was flip-flopped. And uh, they, But that's part of the reason I like the Type 1. I think that's the ones that were meant to go out. Um, but, you know, who am I kidding? If anybody wants to send me a 52 Mantle, I don't care what it is. Just like Layden said, I'll, I'll take any grade, any kind, any type, whatever you want. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Bobby Burrell wants to know, what is the ratio of type one versus two? But I see Rich Klein has jumped in and says, or Collector's Dream says both versions were printed equally. Rich says the ratio should be even on both cards. Uh, is that your understanding, Leighton? Uh, I don't know. Danny, any any insight? I don't know the ratio, I, I, but I would certainly trust Rich Klein. Yeah, it goes on to say no difference, same print run. So that's the, at least that's the general, uh, generally accepted position on it right now. Okay, um, Danny, let's go to your question that you had uh, for Leighton Sheldon, if you don't mind uh, asking him. Well, now I think I need to put a qualifier. Other than the 52 mantle, um, which Topps baseball card do you set do you consistently find hard to get in a good grade disproportionate to maybe the year obviously sure. you, always, you know but is there a set that because of the design or something you find it much harder to get in a good grade uh it's a great question danny i appreciate you asking uh, i think it might make a great article on your new you know on your new site um so what i'd like to do is uh you know not to um try to escape answering it but what i'd like to do is give you um, the set that I believe is the toughest to find in high grade by decade for the 50s, 60s, and 70s. So without further ado, in the 1950s, this might surprise some people, but to me, it's no question the 1953 top set. With the color um, and the cards being produced in the early 50s uh, on weak stock, very, very difficult to find cards that are uncirculated that are going to grade eight and higher. Um, in the 60s, I don't think this is going to surprise many people because of the wood grain border and because it's very susceptible to show the wear. Uh, and that's 1962 tops baseball. And in the 1970s, along the theme of what I just said about the sixties, it should not surprise you that I'm going to say the 1971 tops baseball set because the full card is black. And so any Nick, anything at all, as far as where it goes on those edges and corners, you're going to see it. It's going to be glaring. And so that's my hot take on that. Great question. Yeah, and I like the way you answered it, Leighton, by by decade. Uh, the 53s don't surprise me with that black box on the bottom. The 62s, the wood grain, I believe, are the 62s, right? With the, uh, you got the Gaylord Perry rookie, the Lou Brock rookie in that set. And of course, the 71s, I mean, those things are... Those things are, are 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 prized possessions when you can find them in high grade with those very dark black borders. Okay. Oh, and there's an example of a 71 right there. Thank you, Danny Black, for the reference on that. Okay. Some really good questions from the chat, more than I thought I was going to get, and I'm having trouble deciding which one. So I'm going to go. Uh, we'll make we may squeeze in an extra one. We're going to go with the first one, which did come from. John at Sports Card Nation podcast, have the prices coming down made it more difficult for you to buy collections 
Layton. So everybody knows Layton is a professional baseball card treasure hunter, and he buys and sells cards under the vintage breaks and the Just Collect banners. With that context in mind, Layton, have the prices coming down made it more difficult to buy collections in the last, I'm going to put a timeline on this, John Newman, if you're okay with that, between the last six and 12 months? Uh, great question, John. I hope all is well. Uh, no, actually, it's it's the opposite. So with prices coming down, it actually makes it a little bit easier. And I'll explain to you why, at least from my perspective. So let's just talk about a couple of years ago when like Rookie Hall of Fame vintage was on fire. So someone would see in the general public a Clemente rookie in a four or five sell for, I'm making it up, $3,000. Well, at that time, they thought that the next one should sell for $3,500 or the next one should sell for $4,000. So when you're in a market environment like that, and every single person thinks that their card's going to sell for more than the last example. I mean, I can tell you, it's very, very difficult, extremely challenging to buy collections like that. So when things start to settle down and they reach a point in which you may not be happy with the price, but you don't feel as though every auction of a, for example, a Clemente rookie is setting a record. Now, all of a sudden, when someone comes to me with a VG or an X example of a Clemente rookie, I can tell them what I think it's worth. I can tell them what I would pay for it. And they don't have this notion in their mind. You're like, yeah, but, you know, the market's going up. And what if the next one sells for a thousand more? You know, you should play, you know, day trading the card market. And I don't know what to tell you. But um, to answer John's question as directly as I can, I do find it a little bit easier to buy because when the prices have settled, whether it be you're a exper experienced hobbyist, whether it be you're someone who inherited a collection or anything in between, I think just people appreciate um, consistency and it's a little bit easier for people to um, digest and understand um, when there's not as much volatility. That's why I think it's easier for me to buy collections when the market's a little bit softer. Right, nice full answer. I love it. Thank you for the question, John. We're going to do a bonus question here. Uh, Matthew wants to know, what was the vintage card earlier in your life that endeared it to your hobby experience? Oh, I mean, I, I know exactly what it is. Uh, so my father, like many of our fathers, I would imagine, claimed to have God knows what, right? You know, uh, the, uh, you know the, the Mickey Mantle big collection, right? The Joe Namath rookie in quantity, whatever the case is. So my dad doesn't know where all his cards went and what happened. He doesn't even blame his mother. He just, you know, he kind of throws his hands up and he's like, hey. Well, you got plenty of cards, so you don't have to worry about it. So, but at the time when I was younger, I most certainly didn't. So to answer 56 Tops Guy's question, when I was approximately 12 years old, uh, I was in the basement of my parents' home, and my dad had this weird look on his face. You know, like, my dad doesn't play the lottery, so I knew he didn't, you know, come home with a scratch-off and win, like, 20 bucks or something like that. So I was like, what do you got over there? He's like, oh, I found something from when I was a child. You know, I'm thinking it's it's like a love letter, right? It's, um, you know, an old box score that he hand wrote from like a Little League game. And um, I didn't know, this is how little I knew at the time and how far I've come, but he actually had four 1934 Gowdy cards left over from when he was a kid. But when I say left over, he doesn't believe he collected them. He thinks that they were either given to him or they were traded to him, and he doesn't necessarily think he gave all of his cards for them. Um, but for whatever reason or another, he had them in this white envelope. And so I can rattle off. I definitely know the only Hall of Famer is Heine Manoush, Tex Carlton, um, 
Uh, I don't know the other two. Oh, Oscar Melillo is three. And um, anyway, fast forward. I don't have it here. It's my office. And this is why it's such a wonderful question. So my dad gave me two cards for my bar mitzvah. My dad gave two cards to my brother um, at around the same you know time, meaning that he got bar mitzvah. And I knew so little about the cards. I made my dad drive me. I, I'm not kidding. No less than five or six stores till we finally hit a store that could identify what the card was. Because remember, there was no Google, there was no eBay, maybe there was AOL, maybe there wasn't message groups. Um, and so fast forward, my second job out of uh, college was working for Leland's. I worked for Josh, may he rest in peace, and half of it was a great run. Well, we found, and I, I collect memorabilia, but we found an amazing George Burke signed vintage baseball photograph collection. You wouldn't believe it, but in there was a Heine Manouche. So I have the dad, I have the card that my dad gave me when I was a kid. I bought the photo from Leland's and I have it still all these years later. I framed them up together and I'm getting goosebumps now, but I would say that's the card that means the most to me because I would never sell it for anything. It kind of gives me a tie to my brother and my father. And to be fair, I like to think, because I never met my grandfather on my dad's side. He died before I was born. I like to think that maybe he was involved in it in some way. And so that's the card that means a lot to me. Okay. Well, thank you for thank you for that. Now, to finish off uh, the Vintage Spotlight, I'm going to give you 60 seconds to talk about a giveaway that you are doing on Vintage Breaks, because uh, this sounds pretty cool to me. So go do your pitch. And then, uh, and thank you in advance for joining us tonight and sharing your knowledge. Absolutely. Well, thanks again for having me on. I'm certainly no pitch gang, but if you haven't heard of us, one of the companies that I do run is vintagebreaks.com. We're a little bit different than most of the other breakers in that we actually open up like 1975 Topps mini solo packs and 1962 Topps packs. And we do set breaks from the 50s, 60s, and 70s. We actually have a 1933 Gaudi set break up on our website right now at vintagebreaks.com. But tonight, what I want to share with you is we have a really big event ending in less than 24 hours tomorrow evening at 10 o'clock Eastern time. There's a lot of different ways to buy in. Check it out. We have spots as cheap as three bucks all the way up to, I think, $1,000 or so. But tomorrow night, we're giving away thousands of dollars in prizes, including a T206 Ty Cobb, thousands of dollars of break credit, a 54 Tops uh, Teddy Ball Game, lots of other things in between. You can check everything out. All the details are at VintageBreaks.com. All right. Sounds fun. Good luck with that. Good And congratulations in advance to the winner of these cards uh, on Vintage Breaks tomorrow. So thanks, Leighton. Thanks for sharing. And uh, we'll see you uh, we'll see you in Vegas next week. See you next week in uh, Vegas. Dan, congrats again on your new venture. I'll talk to you. I appreciate you gentlemen having me on and uh, the audience for uh, tuning in tonight. All right. Take care, Leighton. Travel safe. All right. Well, thank you, Leighton, as he as he uh, exits stage left. Danny, uh, and thank you for the question. And I mean, the guy's just a wealth of knowledge. I, I like uh, bringing him on, and uh, he's a supporter of the show. So thank you again to Leighton Sheldon. Uh, I'm going to run. We got lots of comments here, Danny. So let's Good run forward. some, and then we're going to dive in to Hobby News Daily. Uh, Dave Kaplan here says, Probstein says, PSA 1, 1952 Mantles, are going to $30,000. And I, th you know what? I mean, Probstein knows the market. 
The one thing I'll say, though, is that not all PSA 1s are the same. There's a vast difference in quality of PSA 1. So are they all going to 30? Is that what he's saying? Or are the nicest ones going to 30? Uh, maybe he's talking about the low end, maybe the high end. But there is a, you know, you, we talk about low, high, mid end. You could have that same discussion, but within the context of PSA 1s, right? Yes. There's such and, a. And I stand by the fact, if anybody wants to send me, I'm not great specific. You'll take whatever. Yeah, that's like uh, that's like Matthew says here. My preference on the 52 mantle type is the one I can afford. And for anyone who missed it, about a month or so ago, we had Matthew, 1956 Tops guy on the show. We spent an hour, and it was a fun hour, talking about the trade he made at the Burbank show last month for his 1952 Tops mantle. Great show. Uh, had a great conversation back then. Uh, Chris C., sorry we didn't get your question in, but uh, is it worth cracking an 80C Kofax and regrading it so there's no qualifier? Um, my vote is yes. My vote personally is yes. I'm not a fan of qualifiers on PSA slabs, but keep in mind you're probably going to lose one to three grade points. I'll be very wide with that margin. Uh, anything to add to that, uh, Danny, or does that make sense to you? No, the key point was that you expected to go down in number. Down in number for sure. For sure. Michael Stone, other than Mantle, Mays, Aaron, Koufax, Ryan, or Robinson, best vintage player to collect. I mean, Danny, like this, number one, what you, what can you be passionate about, Michael Stone? That's the first thing. What can you be passionate about? But if you're really just wondering what the hobby thinks, Danny, what would your thoughts be? I mean, Robinson, I'm assuming, is Jackie, but, but I'll throw back in that I think Frank is underrated and and – not far off of that group, but I mean, any, anybody from that fifties and sixties hall of fame era, you know, if, if you're a Ken Burns fan, you'll, you'll know who to buy. I'm, and I, I'm like a Koufax, DiMaggio. Uh, those are the guys that I, I enjoy having cards of them, but uh, thank you, Michael. Uh, Skeppy. This is a big, this is a question it says when dealing with the challenges of having cards stolen from you. So this is for you, Danny. How do you separate rational thoughts from irrational emotional thoughts that can slow you down moving forward effectively? Like this sounds like a really deep question, but it's actually applicable. I feel this is an applicable question. I think this is my therapist typing in. Uh, um, yeah, um, that really hits home. Um, so it, 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 the irrational emotion never leaves. I talked about that. I'll probably be angry and PO'd forever, you know, the person who did it. But I love cards too much to not want to be a part of it. That's the overriding thing. You know, it, it, it eventually I love cards more than I'm mad at that person. So I'll, I'll, that, that, that's what it comes down to for me. Very good. Very good. And I uh, appreciate that. Uh, Mookie Chilson says, it seems we all agree there's not a low grade vintage bubble. What was the last vintage card bubble that burst that you can identify or are vintage cards generally bubble proof? I have something comes to mind for me. Does anything come to mind for you? I was going to say only in the fact that if you want to call the pandemic a bubble, but, but short of, well, I'll call that a weird little anomaly. Um, I don't think there's ever been a massive vintage bubble that I can think of. So I don't remember a massive vintage bubble, but I do remember, and it's not that long ago. I remember there was a run up on some vintage. It was basically like the end of 2016 into 2017. Cause I remember buying some cards there and seeing a year or two later that, wow, those cards have come down in value. Now today 
they're more they're higher than they were when I bought them in 1617. Uh, but they did come down after that. It was if you look at some charts, you know, on card ladder or market movers or whichever tool you're using, you're gonna see a little vintage a bump in the vintage index or certain vintage cards in 2017 in particular. And um, at least at least that was my experience. So I assume you're gonna see a little bump there. And so that that's it for me, Mookie Chilson. That's what I remember. Uh, but of course, to the chat, if you guys remember anything, I'm, I'm curious about that from you as well. Uh, Rich Klein says he's being modest. Vintage Breaks had one of the most amazing things which ever occurred at a national sports card convention. 55 Bowman pack with a mantle being pulled, referring, of course, to Leighton Sheldon and his Vintage Breaks business. Thank you for that. Shout out there. Uh, Rich Klein, who, of course, remembers. Chad Shipper, welcome to the show. Love the vintage talk, Leighton. Thank you, Chad. Good to see you. Hope to see you in Las Vegas. And Mark Santucci throws out Carl Yastrzemski for vintage collecting. I think that's a reasonable player to throw out, too. What do you think? I don't think the sport respects him enough. I think there's certain guys who are more talented than they are valuable. Um, and I think for some reason, Yaz falls a little bit into that category. I'm not sure why. Fair, and thank you for your insight on that. Okay, let's talk about Hobby News Daily. Launching April 1st, this is an initiative. You are you are the founder of Hobby News Daily, but you are not a one-man show. You are really, you have really brought in many people to help make this thing a reality. My first question for you is why? Why are you, why did you decide to start the venture Hobby News Daily. Chris throws out Stan Musial very quickly, which I like. Uh, please let us know. Why did and you? And Clemente. I want to put that oh, out there. Clemente. Yeah. I know. I just, for, for, I wouldn't have slept tonight if I didn't say that. Um, I, I'm a hobby fan and I'm a hobby lover first and you know foremost. And I found that there was a lot of good content and a lot of people with a, a wealth of uh, industry knowledge. A, a wealth of, of opinions and and old young but a bunch of people and i was having a hard time quite frankly keeping up with it finding all of it um and then i started talking to some people and they weren't able to really express themselves for whatever they're doing full-time in their job you know they might be working in a marketing position that doesn't allow them to write about their personal you know collection so what we were able to do is put together an extremely talented group of writers who are going to be writing original articles and then we found um through through myself and through others um a, a really talented group of content creators uh if i if i don't mind saying you know including yourself and we're thrilled to have you on board and and, and your you know show be a part of hobby news daily but the point of it is if somebody comes to check out jeremy lee maybe they'll find mike moynihan maybe they find you know, Junk Wax Hero or, you know, Mike Summer or Eric Norton's writing, you know, and, and there's all these people that have been in the hobby uh, and, and whether it's content creation or writing, I wanted to make that accessible and we call ourselves the homepage of the hobby. So that's the first thing. The second thing is, you know, what can we do daily to make it interesting? And so we've started the Hobby News Daily Morning Minute and that is uh, every business day, it's about a five-minute podcast uh, that's done. We've got two tremendous hosts, Mike Jokum and Adam Palmer, and they alternate days, and they just kind of give you your morning cup of coffee. And uh, we're really proud of that. Um, 
you can subscribe on podcast. You can come right to the website and listen, but it's a great way, you know, before you get into the longer stuff for the day, if you know, while you're getting going, you can play that one, you know, in the shower, as we like to say, first thing. And then the last thing that I definitely want to brag about on the website is we have a uh, partnership with Gemrate. So we're going to be able to put out some, just some cool data out there. That's like, uh, we're going to be uh, launching. I'll give a little insight uh, on great uh, PSA gem rates and different grades on Hall of Fame rookie cards. So we're going to take a look at something just a little bit different um, than, than maybe the traditional data that's put out there and dive into some of that. And, and that'll be up on our site. So I know that's a lot and I'm excited about all of it, but I've been working 24 seven. So you're, you're hearing a lot of uh, enthusiasm and, uh, you know, I, I can't wait to get started. We have our beta site up now so people can check it out, sign up for the newsletter. And one week from today, we launched. What, what was the aha moment? Like what, take us, take us to the moment in your, in, in time when your brain told you to say to yourself or to say out loud, I'm starting something called Hobby News Daily. What was that? What was the trigger for it? What was the, 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 um, what what caused this to really come about? What was the catalyst? I think it was two things happened within a 24-hour period. One, um, I respect everybody in the hobby. This is not a shot at any company or anybody out there, but I found that I wanted more news um, in a multimedia kind of sense. And, and, and I was looking for, you know, a, a platform that would just kind of give me a quick bite of information. And, and I didn't find it easily. So I started asking around. Then when I started asking around, I started getting names of writers and content creators and stuff that I had never even thought of or heard of that people swore by. And I realized that there was no way I was ever going to get to all of it. So why don't I start somewhere? And I said, what, what do I want every morning? What, what, what would make me happy? And, you know, as, as somebody who loves the hobby, you know, can I cover all the bases so everybody can enjoy this? And so we do have writers on baseball, on non-sports, on vintage, on modern um, and we've tried to cover all the bases there as well. So I have a, I have a lot of follow-up comments here. So I'm going to start with, I love the tagline, the homepage of the hobby, by the way. Uh, congratulations on coming up with that. I think it's brilliant. Uh, number two, this is going to be, uh, you're going to have a daily podcast with the daily update. You know, you said, what do I want? Well, it's like you want that morning newspaper that used to get tossed onto your your front patio, right? So you could actually get the morning news. Now, there are other content creators doing daily or a couple times a week doing updates and reports on what's going on in the hobby. They're talking about the headlines. And I have to say that, you know, it's, I don't know, is it even between like headlines from companies in the hobby versus headlines on the drama amongst social, on social media, amongst other content creators, We've got a lot of this attack content on the airwaves right now. Uh, you know, a lot of a, a lot of watchdogging going on, and uh, you know that I, we need watchdogs. We are an unregulated hobby, which has, which deals with with cards that are also assets to a lot of people, which are an asset is a financial instrument or certain ones are these things are, are like financial instruments we are unregulated where there's money there will be bad actors we have them in our hobby there's lots a lot of watchdog content out there right now and then there's a lot of attack content out there as well so 
my my question, the reason why I'm I'm setting this up is, is Hobby News Daily going to focus on the watchdog, the drama, the attack, or and and slash or is Hobby News Daily going to focus on the headlines coming from the industry and you know maybe you know auction house record sales, uh, which you know we have that already in place. Like what? What is the focus going to be? What is the what it what is the energy that I'm going to feel after I consume Hobby News Daily every every morning? Let's say. Well, I hope it's somewhere around door three. Um, I, we're not looking to we're not looking under rocks to to you know to to be investigative, breaking you know TMZ journalist and and there's people who are going to do that much better with you know with with a lot more resources. Um, the difference is we get to hear about it on Tuesday afternoon, let's say, and Wednesday morning, give an intelligent reaction and accurate updates and details. So, you know, listen, we're all very busy. A lot of the news doesn't break on our own cycle. So the news update will we'll do that, you know, if it's newsworthy. You know, we're, we're not covering social media uh, squabbles. I, I, you know, if somebody was mean on Twitter to somebody else, was mean on Twitter. Well, that's okay. That that's not what we're here for. The feeling. That's what you talked to me. You said, "What's the feeling?" I want the feeling to be when you picked up the the newspaper. You know, when when you when you kind of broke that pack of cards at the card shop. I just want it to be that that reason we're in this. That that love, that passion, just for a couple minutes. You know, it, it's not going to be perfect. You know, not every day is going to have something great to talk about. Um, if there's major auction news, we're going to cover it if it's hobby worthy, but our goal is not to cover every auction as a matter of principle. You know, we are just trying to cover um, a couple things in the morning. And then beyond that, we want entertaining writing. I cannot stress that enough. I want people to be entertained. You know, the, 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 the idea is not just to be a news service, but, but to be something that you can be passionate about. You can enjoy what you read or what you watch. And, and 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 it's completely free, by the way. Um, so you know that that's my that's my only goal with Hobby News Daily is to give a little bit of education, a little bit of entertainment, and hopefully we all go home and nobody gets hurt. Yeah, no, very good. Mookie Chilson just subscribed to the newsletter. Congratulations! Excited to see what you all produce. Very nice, Mookie. Thank you for subscribing. Simon four six six says Danny has a great vision for Hobby News Daily. Homepage of the hobby is definitely an awesome tagline. I I totally agree with and that. one of our and one of our contributors. So thank you, Simon. There you go. Speaking of contributors, why don't you let us know? Because let's face it, you have drawn on your friends, many of whom are content creators in the space already, and many people watching here don't only watch Sports Cards Live; they're watching a lot of other content as well. So who can we expect to see? on the podcast who can we expect to see on the website who are some of the writers are there any people that have joined the team danny who we may not have heard of before obviously we know john newman we know rich klein we know we we know victor i think victor's involved we know all these people but well at least i do and i'm sure many people do here too but who maybe shout out and i know i want to give you a chance to shout out like everybody if you have a complete list handy but Start with the new people. Tell us a little bit about some of the people that maybe we're not as familiar with as far as hobby content goes, if you're able to. Yeah, and, and I'm, I want to be careful because, like you said, some people know some people from one area and, and some people know other people from another area. So I don't know you know, what everybody follows, 
But let me give you a great name, a great radio, a great writer, Horatio Ruiz, uh, super talented writer. Um, he, he does incredible work. I can tell you right now that that his first article uh, and his second article are, are already just, you know, I'm excited to read the stuff he sends in. So I, I would love to brag on Horatio Ruiz. Uh, Jason goes by Heavy J. How about the co-chair of the Sabre Baseball Card Committee? So how about somebody who might know a little bit about what they're talking about and, and does great stuff? Um, and I know a lot of people know him. Eric Norton back in a writing role. Um, a lot of people, you know, ha ha are excited to see him in a writing role. Uh, Mike Summers is going to be doing some writing for us. Uh, Mike Moynihan, these are names you know. Yeah. Mike Jokum is going to be doing some writing for us. He's one of our hosts of, of the Morning Minute, so he's going to be one of our newer writers. Joe Chats, uh, he's fantastic. Sports by Joe uh, is going to be writing for us. And you know, let me, uh, Dr. Stephen Mayer, Chad. Uh, Non-sports, Erica Massenberg, uh, absolutely, Chris Harris, Drew Herndon, uh, Rex, and Nick from uh, the Sports Card Shop and ANN Sports Card. So uh, a lot – these are people covering different topics. So it's not just everybody writing about the same thing. A lot of people have specialties. So it may be wrestling. It may be, you know, non-sports completely. It may be vintage, modern. Like I said – we're trying to cover as, as many bases as we can. So that way, everybody who comes to the site can have something for them. Let me ask, uh, and thank you for that. And, you know, congratulations. Uh, and, and I just want to give encouragement to everyone who is going to be a part of this because these things require a collaborative effort for them to really, for this to, to achieve your vision, which, you know, I'm sure you've had discussions with everybody what this is meant to be. And, you know, it's a it's an opportunity for people to showcase their writing skills, showcase their podcasting skills. And uh, but I have one one sort of question that I, I just can't help but ask. And is is that it, it's going to be, you know, this is I don't know, you might not be expecting this, but maybe you are, you know, there. And I come back to the different types of content out there that, that I see on YouTube, Instagram, et cetera. And that's, you know, the 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 interpersonal uh, conflicts between people in the hobby, the drama are, is hobby news daily going to have, is it going to cover that type of drama? And I'm not talking about, you know, Oh, fanatics just acquired three, the, the, the three licenses, like that's drama, but that's actual, you know, that that's headline worthy, not to say other drama isn't headline worthy, but it, you know, it has its place on certain uh, channels is Hobby News Daily going to have drama? Um, I'm sure inevitably, like any family, we're going to end up within drama within ourselves first. But that's not what <laughs> uh, I'm talking about. I mean, you know, no, I know, I know, I know. Just uh, to be fair, you know, we're we're we're, yeah. <laughs> we're getting off we're getting off the ground here. Um, my feeling as the person who is starting this is, I don't want to seek out a reason to disparage somebody, and I've told every writer and every content creator. I've got a couple basic tenets and rules. We don't disparage. We don't lie, um, and and it's okay to have an opinion, but but it better but it better you know be a backed up opinion, not 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 a not a personal opinion. Um, you know, if you're talking about it, somebody else. So um, the writers um, do write you know under Hobby News Daily, but they are not typically edited, and the content creators like yourself. I mean, we're really just a gateway to the show. So, so, 
Uh, you, you know, I pretty much trust you not to cause too much trouble. I think we're safe with, uh, with, with you most of the time anyway. Most of the time. Most of the time. I'll try to stay on my, on my best behavior. Are you still recruiting contributors? So fantastic question. We are specifically recruiting uh, contributors right now. We do. Uh, we we've been trying very hard to fill a couple of holes. Anybody who's interested, um, reach out at Hobby News Daily, um, and I'll get it. And yes, if you have a history of writing, uh, we are looking for writers right now. And uh, yeah, no, I mean, if you're familiar with, uh, I'm seeing in the chat some of the people we have. Uh, if if you enjoy their work and and you can write and and have. An, you know, some experience writing, and most of our writers do definitely uh, reach out. We're very interested in, in filling out, I think, uh, two or three more positions. Chris C says, uh, Chris Sewell, I hope, is involved. Uh, have you have you reached out to the sports card collector investor or baseball card collector investor dealer in that order? Um, only because I can't get the order right. No, no, I love Chris. Um, I, I, Chris, you have an open invitation. Um, one of the challenges I knew going into this uh, venture was I was never going to have everybody. So I, I I will pre-apologize for all the list of people that I do or do not have on the roster. <laughs> and, and Chris Sewell keeps himself pretty darn busy uh, yeah. with his own videos. He's been on this show a couple of times and uh, one of my favorite content creators out there. JP says, my current concerns on consolidation is no fly zones, explicit bias and agenda setting to name a few. Look forward to seeing this take off. Don't forget about hockey. And as we just mentioned, you are looking for contributors. So if there's a hockey person out there that wants to write for this, um, you know, and I may throw a, an article or two at it myself if, uh, you know, if Danny will uh, put it through, if, if, if my writing is good enough. So we'll see. But thank you, JP. Uh, VV Cards, Mike says, some quality contributors you are listing that are part of Hobby News Daily, lots of podcasts that I listen to. I think that's that's a good point. So, and I'm, I'm going to ask a tough question. Will there be any redundancy like how how are how is hobby news daily is it going to be an aggregation of other content or is it going to be mostly original to the site all the writing is original to the site so will there be an overlap to the extent that I, i'm not monitoring uh, what people write article by article i want them to have the leeway to express themselves but we are staggering you know our editorial schedule and, and the calendar for release so hopefully there's Something exciting and fresh when you get to it. Mookie Chilson says, is this project underwritten or sponsored at the jump? Is this a for-profit endeavor? Mookie, did my wife call you? Uh, this is this is, uh, this is is being bootlegged uh, out, out of my house. Um, I am trying to work with sponsors and partners to get off the ground, but very much at this point, uh, this is uh, a, a future for-profit, we hope. But uh, that's going to be a long time down the road. Right now, we're enjoying the hobby. Thank you. And Laura, and I see that uh, I see John clarified below, but uh, will there be more more female collab collaborators other than Erica? And John, just so you know, John did jump in and say, I think you're asking about female contributors. If so, offers are out there. Not all say yes. Is there anything else you can add at this point, Danny? Uh, we, we have uh, tried very hard to add additional female authors. I would love to add some more. That is very much on our target list. Um, we have posted as much as uh, I was able to, but you know, we, we certainly need more. There's no doubt about it. Erica's fantastic. Happy to have her on as a writer in general. Great. Vintage Card Collector says, here's a tip for a great podcast or YouTube channel. 
focus on the cards, not the drama. The PWCC premiere show, which I do here once a month on, a th on the third Thursday of the month, is great because it's about the cards. Thank you for that, Vintage Card Collector. And, uh, and you know, I would just echo that comment that, you know, there, there's plenty of places to get your, your daily dose of drama. And that's why I asked that question earlier. Am I, is, am I going to get, and I, listen, I don't think, I, I feel like I'm asking the question. I know the answer, Danny. I, I don't think there's a chance that your that Hobby News Daily is going to turn into a, a drama, a hobby drama hub. We have those out there. Y'all know where they are and where to find them. And if you like to get your daily dose, um, you can go do that uh, elsewhere. And I'm glad that, you know, I'm not glad, but I don't, I just don't think it's necessary for what you're up to. And I just don't think it's consistent with, with you and, and, and how I see you. Thank you. I was about to say, anybody who knows me knows you might get dad jokes. You might get a bad sense of humor, but, but you're not going to get a lot of drama. Yeah. Okay, great. Uh, Rich Klein nominates Jeff Morris for hockey. Very nice. Uh, if Jeff is still with us, maybe he will uh, reach out. Jeff is uh, a, a really a fountain of knowledge for sure. Mike says, thanks, Jeremy. Was wondering about redundancy myself. Nice to know we're thinking uh, similarly there. Mike. Uh, Bobby Burrell, another another hockey resource. If, if he's if he's open to it, says Danny. The labor of love always shines through. Yeah, very well cheers, said. Cheers to that. Yeah, very well said, Bobby. I'll, my empty water glass. Cheers as well. Uh, PSA ten says would love to see a story on the fake PSA holder whack a mole problem the industry has been dealing with. See, that's that's not drama. That's content. <laughs> 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 I'll, I'll, I'll let that one hang just like yeah. i can't i can't top that that was a, it was mixed up but that was that was it yeah, yeah. That, well you know where that's from uh matthew says i i came to the hobby to escape the drama in real life yeah here 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 matthew for sure for sure and now uh turning back the clock a little bit dave kaplan says regarding vintage bubbles well kind of vintage star jordans used to be worth more than fleer then they crashed now there's a run-up again with PSA grading them. And that, that really ties in nicely to what Leighton said earlier about how seasons change. Just because we like the Type 1 mantle now over the Type 2 doesn't mean that's going to last. Just because low-grade vintage is hot right now doesn't mean it's going to last. We This is a fluid hobby. Things are changing. Tastes change. And, you know, public opinion changes as well over time. So... All right, good stuff, good stuff. Um, since we've talked about Hobby News Daily, we've talked about all your content, and we've touched on the drama aspect of hobby, I want to get your opinion, if you can speak to what you, the responsibility of a content creator, you know? Do you have thoughts on that? And it's a, I don't know, listen, this is a, it's it's not the most fair question to ask because you you take, in answering this, you take the risk of, offending certain content creators and i'm gonna put it to you anyway if you're willing to answer it you know do you feel like as content creators me you john newman everybody else in the chat who does content everyone out there do you feel like is there a, a circle of responsibility or, or a group of responsibilities that we have simply because we have a, a camera and a mic attached to our computers and we turn them on every so often? I think as human beings, we do. Um, 
you know, I used to do radio. I felt a certain responsibility to represent myself and my family a certain way. Uh, when I go on camera, whether it's you or, or somebody else, um, I think I want to represent myself in the way that I would want my kids to be proud of. That being said, that's different than not having an opinion or a strong opinion. I am very comfortable having a strong opinion. And sometimes that upsets people. And that's totally different. Um, but if it's done, you know, ta tactfully, and if it's done with respect, um, that that to me is different. Um, but, you know, I, I think we do have a responsibility um, to, to show behavior that can be modeled, I guess is the best way to phrase it. And that's not a lack of, a, of an opinion. And it's not a lack of a of a tense conversation or, or a tough subject or anything like that. I mean, you know, there's a lot of tough questions that, that, that people can ask, but, but can also be done in a way that I'd be proud for my children to watch, to watch also. Yeah. And that, that really explains how you, how you approach things and just, you know, leading by example and being able to sleep well at night, I suppose, you know, I consume some of the drama content out there. I just want to know what's going on. And do you feel that, you know, we have, and I'm not going to name any uh, content creators or any channel specifically, but, you know, I, I'm sure a lot of us who take some of this, of this, of it in, you, you know, we're all watching, I think a few of the same people, um, you know, the watchdog, the watchdog type content, I have no issue with, with watchdog act activities because, People need to be held accountable, I believe. Do you find, is there a, is, is there sort of a movement towards going too far in, in it to the point of, um, like, when I say attack content, like, I mean it. I see attacking going on all the time. Um, and so if some of it can feel a little like bullying like you would have had in high school. And... I watch some of it and I'm like, ah, you know, like, they, they, like it's entertaining. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's an important topic to talk about, but it goes too far sometimes. I think, uh, do you feel the same way or, or am I sort of alone in that? No, I, I feel that there's people in this hobby who would make citizens arrest if they were allowed to, um, you know, that they really, you know, it, it gets to a level beyond cards. Um, and, and I think that's kind of the break even for me. It's entertaining as long as we're still talking about cards. Um, and, and then that that's probably my line. That being said, every company is worth keeping an eye on. Yeah, you know, this is the business we're in. You know, Jeremy, you and I, our lives would, would, would be changed greatly based upon news or information on a lot of companies out there. If we heard good or bad news one way or the other, it, it affects our lives. So it's, you know, I don't like the term watchdog. I do like the term somebody who's willing to report or tell what they are able to see or, or discover on their own. It doesn't have to be vindictive and it doesn't have to be in any way punitive. And that, and that to me is the difference. Yeah, no, that's really, really well said. And, and I think I'm uh, of the same mindset on that. So thank you for engaging with me in that discussion. Chris C here says, if it weren't for shady behavior, we wouldn't have drama, remove the bad apples somehow. Yeah, that's, that's a, that's a great uh, you know, initiative or a, a great dream. I think that's what it is, though, is a dream. Chris, see, I just don't think it's really plausible in, in an unregulated industry that really touches, you know, if you take the cro a cross section of the hobby, there's people from all, 
all shapes of life that are part of this. That's part of the thing that makes it so awesome is that we get to meet people from all sorts of backgrounds, all sorts of countries at this point. And, uh, but yeah, I hear you, Christy. When you introduce social media or YouTube as being part of that, that's a whole nother level that society is dealing with anyway. And then it just, I think part of that filters into the hobby. Perfect. Uh, Rich Klein says he's no longer with us, but one of my hobby mentors, Frank Barning, I believe that says Frank Barning called his paper, the baseball hobby news, because he wanted everyone who read it to remember it for most people. It was a hobby, not a business. That's interesting because, you know, I just want to talk hobby business here. Since cards have been around, they've been around for business. They've always been around to sell a product. They are a salesman's tool. That's all they are. Put them in in tobacco, sell more cigarettes. Put them in chocolate bars, sell more candy. Package them with gum, sell more gum, sell more cards. And then all of a sudden, you know, the 80s and 90s roll around and it's all about money. So if we like to think that this is a hobby and not a business, it's a business first. I'm I'm sorry to say, but that's what drives, no business, no cards, guys. No one's volunteering and putting cards out and giving them away for free. Uh, you know, except for, you know, your local teams or police, police stations and police forces and local, that kind of thing. Otherwise, this is meant it is a business, but we are collecting things that are made for profit. And then there's all these other layers of of people who need to make profit down the line if that's what they're in it for. All that said, as you as everyone who watches this knows, I'm a hardcore collector. I love these things dearly. And it's still a hobby for many of us, but it's a hobby built on based on a business and based on industry. And the model flip flopped over the years. For years, it was cards to sell other products. Now it's almost other products to sell cards, right. but it's still a business. Still a business. Yeah, it, it just is. A lot of people don't want to hear that, but that's the fact that you can't dispute that. But yeah. we all approach it in our own way. And to, to an extent, Danny, it doesn't even matter if it was built on business. It's still a hobby for us collectors. Well, and that's my whole point. It doesn't need to be a business to you, but you are still participating in buying from a business. And, and, and you know, that's okay. Yeah. Rich Klein, so trying to represent what he used to tell me correctly. I think he did a great job of that, Rich. Thank you very much. John Newman says, I feel obligated to learn every day, teach every day, and to be passionate every day about the greatest hobby ever. A quote of Dr. Jim Beckett, Dr. James Beckett. John goes on to say, we should all be watchdogs for our fellow hobbyists, but I don't think it's a title you give yourself. You know, the part being watchdogs for your fellow hobbyists, to me, when I think about that, I think about, you know, hey, guys, there's a fake Jordan rookie uh, at booth 325 or on, on this sales platform or this Facebook group has some shifty people. You know, I would not vouch for this guy. That's the kind of watchdogging that I think makes a lot of sense. Um you know, and of course, what we're seeing lately with breakers stealing cards right in front of the camera, I've privy to that content lately as well, and certainly do not condone that. And it's good to, good. let's get those guys out before they, because they're going to keep on doing it. Well, somebody said we got to get get them out somehow. Well, this one of the ways is, you know, light's the best at disinfecting. You're right. That was Chris C., who said that right up here. And I want to come back to that because when I said it's sort of a dream, it's a dream to get rid of, you know, the counterfeiters, the trimmers, the patch swappers and, 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 and the thieves who break into card shops, but it's not a dream to be able to get rid of the, the shady 
breakers who are stealing cards from their customers because it's on camera. And if it isn't, you're automatically deemed to be a bad apple and you will yeah. probably <laughs> see the doorway pretty soon. I don't know if you noticed this, but Whatnot had a response today. Yes. Whatnot is putting together like a task force and they're going to pay people to watch streams on their platform now to watch for this type of behavior. And I thought to myself, you know what, whatnot, that might be the best thing you've ever done. And I think they're going to gain a lot of, uh, I mean, listen, if it works, that's great. But now all these watch, all these watchdogs, and I don't say this disrespectfully, but I mean, all these people who are catching things, now you can watch whatnot and get paid for your time. I don't know what they're paying. They're also going to give you swag and some credit and this and that. It was all in their like press release today. I saw it on Twitter or Instagram. And you know what? That's a I think that's a reasonable response to what's going on because they probably don't have the eyes to cover everything all the time. Uh, please pipe in with your, with your thoughts on that. I, I think that's the world's greatest job posting is get paid to watch cards get opened. You know, I mean, you know, if, if somebody really cares about the hobby and enjoys, you know, watching that content, that that's probably a great, a great job for somebody. And, you know, from whatnot's perspective, Listen, not talking about them specifically, but reputation to everything in this hobby. And, and it takes a long time to build and a short time to ruin. So you got to react quickly. Fair. Yep. Agree. Mookie Chilson. How about a report on auction house finishes that I can't stay awake for? Think about a supersized Chris Sewell high rollers using data from across auction houses. Uh, yeah, I think I understand that. Good suggestion. Mookie Chilson. Chris C says, I have no issue with watchdogs unless they become hypocrites and then support the very same people they were bashing for suspect behavior. Someone specific in mind. I'm not sure who it is, but um, yeah, I can't really get behind that either. Chris C. Laura says, if there is knowledge about the issues brought forward, doesn't that make our family wiser about our hobby? Uh, yeah, certainly it does. It certainly does. Mark Santucci says, I agree. People should get along or move to somebody else's videos. Fair enough, Mark. Yeah. Uh, Jake's toe. As long as cards are worth something, there will always be fraud involved. Yep. Yep. That's the way the world works. Uh, Foul Fieball. Jeremy says, to me, cards are a hobby, not a business. Fair position to take. And that's, that is up to each person individually. Is it a hobby? Is it a business? Are they investments? I, you know, I see people saying cards are not investments, Danny. I, so I looked up the definition of investment. I can clearly tell you cards can be investments. You can, you cannot say that cards are not investments and be correct. You might not look at them as investments for yourself, but cards can be an investment by the definition I read of investment. I think too many people in the hobby internalize definitions um, if, it, if, if you don't care about selling your cards, that's okay. Cards can still be an investment, <laughs> but you don't have to sell. Nobody's making you. Um, and, I, and, and that's one of the things where just enjoy your cards. If that's what you want, uh, I enjoy my cards and they have nothing to do with the business side of what I do. So, I, you know, it, it's okay to call it an investment. That doesn't mean you have to change your behavior. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, Chris C says, yes, it's a business, but when I started as a kid, it was all about trading with friends or showing off the cards you pulled, regardless of monetary value. 100% agree with that. That's how it started for me as well. Trying to put together my OPG hockey and my tops baseball sets in the 80s uh, and my stick my my sticker albums as well. I mean, 
<laughs> I've told the story before, Danny, but the very last sticker I needed for my like 1983 hockey album was Ken Morrow of the New York Islanders. I every weekend I go to the to the corner store, get eight packs for two dollars. Couldn't pull the darn Ken Morrow. Finally, I traded for it at recess. I had to get the other kid to peel it out of his book so I could put it in mine, and I had to give him like all my traders for it, and I was done. Who cared about values back then? So, Chris, you are right. I think it's, it's that's fair to say on the schoolyard. Nowadays, on the schoolyard, I have to wonder: is it like that anymore? I think for some kids, it is. For many, it's it. There's a, a business angle still. Yeah. All all I know is I traded way too much for Julio Franco. So there you go. <laughs> yeah, Ken Morrow's my guy. Mark Santucci says sports cards became a business. I want to say around 1978 or later when supplies came out. Right now we're protecting our cards more deliberately. And it kind of, when, when there's supplies available, you're like, oh, I guess I need supplies when you might not have even thought about it before. Rich Klein says, one thing I learned from you, Jeremy, is when you said that VD, I don't know what VD, do you know what VD is here? That when you had that VD on whatnot was valued in the 3.7 with a B word. Sorry, Rich, I don't understand the comment. Um, so we'll see what if we get to that after. Jake says, I've never been on whatnot, but if they pay me to be a, a watchdog, I might have to sign up. Rich Klein, if you are worth that much, keeping your site clear is a small investment in, in keeping on keeping the valuation high, tying into, yeah, that makes sense, Rich. Mookie says, whatnot is worried. Fanatics is going to put them out of business, attempting to self-regulate, but maybe too late. I don't think it's too late. I, I mean, better late than never is what uh, is what I would I would say. Uh, Laura, sadly, another LCS was viciously. I don't like to see the word vicious in there, Laura. Viciously attacked here in Los Angeles. What does that mean? Oh my gosh, like that, yeah, that sounds. If, any, if anybody has details, I'd love to know what that actually means. Vicious is that scares me, Laura. I'm really sorry to hear that. Jake says cards are an investment till your mom throws them away when you leave the house. <laughs> yes, then it's just a loss. That's just right. a loss, right? For sure. For sure. John says, uh, if it wasn't a business, you wouldn't have card shows or the card manufacturers. And exactly. That's exactly it. No one's going to just give us cards, you know, if it's not a business. <laughs> so it comes back to that again. Joe Perot says, great show, fellas. Danny is wise. And I appreciate his perspectives greatly. Danny, are you coming to Mint? Well, uh, we're starting a GoFundMe. Uh, we're, we're between Chantilly and Mint right now. Literally every minute it changes. Got it. Okay. Well, I know Joe's going to be there. Looking forward to seeing Joe there. And hopefully, of course, to see you, Danny. Okay. Thank, thank you, you, Rich. Says, you had. I had a venture capitalist on and he mentioned the valuation. No worries, Rich. Thank you for clarifying. Pickup truck through the front door. Yeah. Hopefully, uh, hopefully it was in the wee hours of the morning and no one got hurt. And they catch these, these crooks. Hopefully they catch these crooks. Okay. Danny, that's all, so that's are all, we good I'm, on so, I'm sorry, I, I hate to hear that. That is that's oh. awful. Yeah. And you hate to not just in the hobby, you hate to hear someone driving a truck through any business to, to rob them. I mean, it's the just, shop the shop owner, the employees, everybody. Yeah. Everybody. It's it's just it's just bad. Just bad. Um, anything else you want to mention about hobby news daily before we move on to a cover a couple of other topics? Yeah, I just want to invite everybody to come check it out, sign up for the newsletter, have a little fun. I promise you you won't get hurt. Um, and you might have a little fun along the way and, uh, you know, the hobby needs some, some, you know, I'll call it good old fashioned apple pie and, uh, Coca-Cola. And, you know, I think we're going to serve up a little bit of that. 
Yeah. Okay. Well, good. I'm I'm looking forward to it for sure. April 1st is the release date or the, the launch date. What can we expect on April 1st, Danny? You can expect new articles being released from some of our writers, and we're going to roll those out the first couple of days. Um, you're going to definitely get live coverage from Chantilly um, and Mint. We'll be doing throughout the day um, on our podcast um, and articles, as well as uh, brand new releases of uh, Gemrate content uh, that it's going to be debuting that day. All right, great. Well, excited to see that. And I think I'm most excited for the original art written articles by the by the writers and start to get to know some of the writing styles. And, you know, hopefully, and I won't be surprised if one, if not all of them, uh, resonate with me as a as a hobbyist. I love I love reading articles, you know, about the hobby, especially if it's a topic that I'm personally passionate or interested in. So looking forward to that. Okay, let's Switch it up a little bit. Um, Jordan Hudson quickly says, a guy drove right through my uncle's shop door the other day. Good thing he's a mechanic. That's a good thing for sure. Uh, and Simon says, April 1, not an elaborate April Fool's Day prank. No, this is the real deal, right? This isn't This isn't the underwater grading company, is it? This is my, no, this is my sixth sense of humor. Uh, when I had to pick a day, I could have picked uh, Friday or Saturday. And who could turn down April Fool's Day? Yeah, go for good. <laughs> I like it. I like it. Okay. I want to talk about um, two other, well, really just one other thing left, actually, now that I'm looking at the notes and what I what I said we were going to talk about was, and this is a total switch in direction here, but for the first time ever in Upper Deck Hockey, Series 1, Series 2, and Extended, which is the, the new format for their flagship, it comes out in three series, basically, but Series 3 isn't called Series 3, it's called Extended, for whatever reason, and that's fine. They are now going to be inserting, again, for the first time ever, a pack pulled one of one parallel to the Young Guns. Now, even I don't think, I think even if you don't collect hockey, you know what a Young Guns is. Like, am I right? Everyone watching chat, if you are not a hockey collector, do you know what the Young Guns is? A couple of yeses and nos. I'd love to see just to get an idea. But that's my, my thought. My perspective is that you know it. Danny? I'll put myself in that category of somebody who, who's not a diehard hockey collector, but I found this to be important because Young Guns is your rated rookie or, you know, your, 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 your key card. Young Guns is the flagship rookie card of every player. I, not only do I call it, not only am I calling it like a, it comes out of the flagship brand, but it's actually a flagship card as well. It's the, it's the one I used to I used to say, and I don't think this is right anymore because some of them are very expensive. But I used to call like every man's brand, you know, or every the rookie card for every man or every woman, uh, you know, kind of. To me, it's a commodity card. They they print tens and tens of thousands of them. Is my is what I think is the case. The populations among the grading companies are very high. The gem rate, the PSA ten, the BGS nine five, SGC ten, CSG ten, all the gem rate is very high among them. Um, so, you know, it's uh, it's a very well-known card, highly pursued by many people. Uh, and, and they've always had a couple of versions of it. And not always, but since 05, even earlier, I think, they've had the main Young Guns. They've had the exclusives out of 100. And then they added the the the, the they called it the high glossy, I think. And then they renamed it just the high gloss out of 10 as well. Now this year, and then there are a couple other 
parallels or just versions that came out of other distribution methods, like the midnights at card shows and, and a few other buybacks and that. But now they're adding a couple new parallels, including the, I think it's called like the Sunburst Gold. I forget the name and sorry, Upper Deck, if you're watching, I forget the name of it, but I think it's like the Sunburst Gold one of one. Um, what, like Danny, even for you, who's someone that's a little bit outside or not, not fully immersed in hockey, like, like I am and others, what do you think this means to the, to the hobby? I can only imagine if it existed for some of the players that have already come, you know, so that makes me think, you know, for, for the upcoming young stars, I mean, can you imagine what, what, what the search is going to be for those cards? I mean, talk, talk about it. Talk about it. Yes. I mean, when was, and I say this with respect, when was the last time there was a bounty on a hockey card? I don't know. I'm not, well, I think there was one on, on the uh, Skybox Metal Universe PMG Gold Alex Ovechkin, I believe okay. there was one. Yeah. But now you could have that be a semi-frequent thing, and that's really cool. It's cool for the hobby, and it's cool for hockey. Yeah, um, I, I I agree. Yeah, and I like low pop chase cards. I do too. I do too. So they're adding the one of one. I think they're adding a, a parallel out of 250. So that's great. But what I wonder is, what does this do to the high gloss out of 10? It's no longer the best young gun possible. And I believe it to be the best young gun version there is, uh, even though they've done some one of one buybacks now, which I'm just not a big buyback guy, but but what does this do to the high gloss in future years? In past years, I don't think it changes anything because there was no one of one gold sunburst again or whatever they're calling it. I wish I remembered. But what does this do in the future to the high gloss? Does it lose some of its its status? It's out of 10, but now there's a one-on-one to chase. Does it lose some of its status or importance because it's been, it's been shown up by the one of one? I think it's actually going to be counterintuitive. I think the one of ones, you know, the high tide raises all all ships. I think the one of one is just going to become such an exclusive premium thing that everybody's going to look and say that player didn't have a one of one, you know, so that the best card for that player is this. And now let me compare prices of the best cards. And, you know, 10 is a really low pop. I mean, it's not one, but you know, how many of the 10 are in circulation or graded well, you know, are out there. And I, and I do think that you'll see on the 10s more than, than, than the others, you'll definitely, I think, I think it'll raise the prices. That's an interesting perspective. And I wonder if, if the, the brain trust at upper deck had a similar thought because they, and I wonder first, did they, Think about what does introducing the one of one do to the high gloss? Do you think that they thought about that before they went official with it? I think you have to because you have to look at what your current chase is. You know, you have you have whatever you've been marketing as your chase cards now, and you're making a decision to change that to some degree. Yeah, and I mean, uh, you know, knowing some of the people at Upper Deck, and you know, the the guy who I believe runs the the brands being grant Sandground, he's a sharp he's a sharp cookie that guy i have to think for sure they you know they contemplated it they they you know just kind of spun it around amongst the team and talked about what could happen and then i wonder did they come up with the same thought you did because it wasn't that 
that wasn't intuitive to me to go that way. I think that rising tide lifts all boats. It might make the out of 10 even that much more valuable because now everybody but one person is going to get that one-on-one. So everybody who doesn't get it might want the next best thing, which is going to be the high gloss where in the past, maybe they weren't that aware of the high gloss. I, I don't know where that just, how that, how that progresses, but makes sense. Jake's toe says not a hockey collector, but knows the young guns. Mike double V of course, uh, have have most of them just in, so he's now he's saying just in time for Connor Bedard who is the next Connor McDavid the guy is breaking all sorts of records you know expectations are high on this guy it could be a it could be a year of another generational talent or really I'll, I'll say not another but really the first true generational talent since 2015 when Connor McDavid came into the league so that's pretty good John Newman says, what's a young gun? Can I have a Connor McDavid, please? Well, my, well, John, there's probably <laughs> 75,000 of them out there for you to choose from. So, yes, you could probably have one. And I don't know how close my number is or not. Rich Klein says, young guns is fascinating because it's a non-auto base card in a flagship set. Don't think anything else in the hobby has that same aura. Very interesting. Very interesting. Simon says, have they ever done a retro young guns insert before? Feels like that would be a winner of an idea. Well, they did in the lockout year, 2004, Simon, they did retro young guns of Gretzky and Lemieux and Iserman and Ray Bork and a whole bunch of other guys. So yes, they are out there. I think there's even two versions of the Gretzky outburst gold. One of one, not sunburst. I had the second half, right, Danny? <laughs> I'm saying sunburst is called outburst. Thank you. Collection SML. I think sunburst there. is a casino. Fair. I, I wasn't aware. I, I thought it was a, a chewy, fruity flavored candy. Oh, that's, star, that's Starburst. Never mind. Right. Rich Klein, Young Guns, if I remember, was used on Upper Deck cards in the early 90s. Rich, Young Guns were out in the very first Upper Deck product. 1991 Upper Deck had Young Guns. The Sergei Fedorov rookie card is a Young Gun. So it goes the lineage of of young guns. I was about to say Rich Klein because I'm looking at his name. The lineage of young guns goes back to 1990. You guys, this is a th- over 30 years of history in young guns, so it's a big deal. But to your point, the populations have always been very high, very high, very and that, high. And that, you know, as we all know, yeah, of course, yeah. Mark says, did I forget to mention, Jeremy and Danny, that I collect 70s cards like Rod Gilbert and Guy Lafleur? Uh, you didn't forget because you just mentioned it, Mark, and I did know that from you. You've mentioned it before. Rich says, not the formal way it is now, but Upper Deck has used Young Guns for a long time. And what, what he means by not the formal way it is now is that they were just simple base cards before that were seated the same as every other card. Now they are like six per box, you know, one in four packs, that sort of thing. However, they did announce... They are changing the configuration of the box from 24 packs and eight cards to 16 or 18 packs and 12 cards, something like that. So there, but you know, at least three inserts per pack. I think that's pretty cool. I think that's really cool. So, uh, okay. JP says outburst silver deluxe out of 250, red out of 25, and gold one of one, something like that. He's not sure, but something like that. Jake's toe wants our young guns illegal in Canada. <laughs> Very good. SML is really excited about the one one but for me, the out of 25 and 250 are ruining, ruining the high gloss and exclusives. Yeah, I get that. I, 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 I can see that too, but 10 is better than 25 and hundred is better than 250 just in terms of rarity and not as many out there. So 
But if you look at the overall numbered print run of the young gun, add all these print runs up, where are you now versus then? Because if you're adding 225 or 275 plus one is 276 to the 110 from before, you've almost you've more than tripled the total population or print run of serially numbered young guns. And that's that's uh, like, that's a metric that I'd be interested in. So uh, yeah. goes on, not ruining, but definitely too many parallels for me. Imagine how many more regular young guns will be produced. Yeah, I think for Bedard, they're going to print a lot of product. Uh, that's the Bedard's year. I, I do think that's going to happen. Um, but okay, actually, it, wouldn't, it wouldn't surprise me if also other parallels and other things are created um, in the future that are not strictly young gun numbered product. Um, so you can take advantage of star players. You have to find other ways. I mean, I was having a chat earlier today with somebody about, you know, this whole initiative uh, that Fanatics is putting out there that they want to 10x the hobby. How do you, so how do you do that when it comes to, and I was watching um, on Instagram live last night, the crossover, and they were talking about, does that mean if they're going to 10x the hobby, does that mean that they have to 10x the print run? So if there's a, a prism black, and I don't know what they call it, is a one of one, are there not going to be 10 of those? And our prism gold is going to go from 10 to 100 now to 10x the hobby? And my initial thought was, no, that's not what they're going to do. They're going to find other ways to increase production because you still need a one of one. You still need not a 10. I think they're just going to produce more parallels or they're going to get more segmented and have more brands to hit more price points. I think we're going to see more brands versus versus blowing up the print runs of the existing brands. Now, the existing brands are going to blow up in print, but I don't think that they're going to they're going to they're going to change the the black parallel from being a one to one to out of 10 or change the prism golds and we're talking about basketball and football here from being you know if they and we're talking about panini and fanatics doesn't have it yet so there are some there are some gaps in this discussion i realize that everybody but you know is the prism gold or the gold equivalent going to go from 10 to 100 i don't think so what about you no i i think when they talk about 10 times in the hobby they're talking about buyers they're talking about uh liquidity they're talking about uh frictionless sales and storage I, they're talking about growing you know the, the marketing of the hobby i think it's everything surrounding it but I, if, yeah sorry. well i just say they've already cut some lines fanatics is a data company they're going to print what's going to sell and they're going to discontinue what's not selling and and i don't think it's personal i just think that they're looking at the numbers so yeah, I hear what you're saying, but and maybe I didn't understand exactly. But if you're going to 10x the hobby by amount of the amount of people, you know, all, all those metrics that you just listed, you're going to need more product to satisfy that 10x demand. Are you not, or is it just going to become that? Is our lower end brands going to become exclusive, and we're going to run into a re retail warfare again? I mean, they're printing a half a million base cards at least in baseball right now. You know, I don't know that they need to print more. I think if you can increase your buyers, you might actually create value again on some of these base sets. And even if it's, you know, a little bit of value, you can adjust it. But I'd love my kids to be able to buy a pack of cards that that, that they don't feel that they'll never hit anything or get anything good. Yeah, I agree. I, that, I, I do too. I just don't know how you do that in a hobby that has 10 times more of the participants that it does today without 
without increasing the output. I don't see, I just don't see how you, how you do that because in your vision of your kid being able to buy a pack, well, it just not, might not be able to, because there's now instead of 10 people in the hobby, there's a hundred, but there's the same amount of product. So I think they have to increase the product. But what I what you, what you said that really hit home with me there is that they're going to, they're, they're going to, they're, they're going to get rid of the products that are not winners as soon as they, right away. So I made this comment earlier to this other gentleman who's a hobby person that I was talking to. And I said, I think what fanatics is going to do is, is because this person said, I'm not going to disclose who it was, but this person said that he doesn't, he doesn't think they know what they're doing. And I said, well, that's okay. Listen. And I mean, he wasn't like insulting. He's just like, they're not all from the hobby. So fine. But here's my, my response to that was that's okay. They're bringing in really smart people. And I think they're so smart that if they do things that don't work, they will fail fast. They will adjust, maybe pivot, not a huge pivot to a different business, but they will fail fast, adjust and come back improved because that's what a good business does is they fail fast and they realize they failed and they take, they take measures to address it and turn that around. And I think that's what fanatics, I think that will be at the core of their ability to be successful quickly to give us, to give the hobby what they want to grow the hobby 10 X and do it in a, in a manner that is not going to hurt the hobby because things they do, I think will hurt the hobby. It's just, that, and that's just a numbers game, right? You throw enough darts, you're going to miss a few times, but I think that they're going to fail fast and, and, and take measures to rectify and then move on from there because they're smart enough to know this isn't working. Let's adjust and, and do something and just change it up a bit. You're so right. And just to clarify, I was talking about print runs on the existing sets. I think they will be introducing sets and, and, and maybe so we're talking about overall print runs will go up. But I think you're going to see different lines and different sets tiered to different markets based upon their data. Me it too. may not just be increasing the flagship product. And let me just clarify and Maybe it is. But that's what I was talking about was they that I think they're going to be able to target children. They're going to be able to target premium. Um, and they won't necessarily have to increase maybe the flagship, but maybe I'm wrong. I mean, I think it's going to be a combination. I think they're going to do what you said, the former. They're going to increase the amount of products. And I think they're also going to increase the production on flagship because that's flagship. Unless they come out with a an under flagship, you know, a lower level. Because at the end of the day, we want some, we want kids out there to be able to go buy a pack of cards for 99 cents or a dollar. I mean, we want that. And that's not going to be worth anything to us to us seasoned collectors, but you know, maybe they throw in like hoops did in the nineties, you know, some, some crazy uh, insert that comes one in a million packs. And now you've got that golden ticket aspect of the $1 pack, but that, that then leads to retail warfare again, because everyone's looking for that golden ticket. I think we just make it a 52 mantle and we bring it all full circle. Yeah, there you go. There you go. <laughs> um, okay, going to run through some more comments, and then we'll we'll wrap up, man. I mean, we were at two hours already, and I feel like we could keep going. Uh, yeah. It is two hours later where you are, so it's getting late, and I, I respect that. JP says, be curious to see what base Young Guns value end up being under this new format. Got to be lower, but by how much? I, I don't know. It's going to be lower. I, I don't know, because there's not that many new print run or serially numbered Young Guns. It's 226 more than before. I don't know, JP, but we'll see. We will see. Uh, John says, pack out is smaller too, 12 packs. Okay, about the, the new format of Series 1. Mike at Eastridge Sport. This is my LCS, guys. Mike says, the reason young guns have value 
is that they are short printed compared to base in most other sports flagship sets. Rookie cards are not short printed. So as I said before, they usually fall six per box, not as often as regular base cards. Mike goes on to say, open a prism pack and you can pull two rookie cards in one pack. Baseball is the same. See, I don't really even know that because I don't open that stuff. So thank you, Mike, for, uh, for alerting me to that. Laura says, do you see different packs, hobby boxes sent to LCS versus retail? What do you think about that, Danny? I'm not, I think so, but I don't know. My gut feeling is that Fanatics is going to flood retail through all their channels and support the hobby shops with, with, with hobby product, or maybe I'm just very wishful. Yeah. Okay. Well, appreciate that. Chris C. It's impossible to 10X the hobby without increasing print runs. I agree. You're living in a fantasy land if you think otherwise. Uh, Fanatics already said they want cards everywhere, which is not the ideal situation. It is the ideal situation, though, Chris, if they can actually 10X the hobby and it sustains for like at least 15, 20 years. I think, I think it, I think it might be ideal, but we're talking about like equilibrium and economics and that's what this really is. And hopefully they're smart enough to, 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 to find that Chris says you want a balance between demand and scarcity. Agree. John Newman says 10 X the hobby funeral home hands. You had a tissue and a pack of the latest tops flagship at funeral home. <laughs> I hop parallels with the short stack of pancakes says Chris Bobby Burrell 10 X the hobby lofty slow and steady creates longevity need to attract the general sports fans is key to sustainable growth yeah like bingo like like that someone needs to send that quote to fanatics i completely agree with that mike double v says what do you think the driver behind reconfiguration of ud it's connor bedard mike it is 100 (laughs) that is the driver create a oh you say create a chase for bedard fewer cards in the box to increase revenue you will, I don't know about fewer cards in a box to increase revenue because they've said that they're putting in more inserts now. And inserts, if they're nice, cost more money to make. So um, maybe, a, maybe, listen, they're, they're going to increase revenue. They, they're they not going to lose money. And increase revenue this year. The yeah, they're not going to lose money on, on, on Bedard. No. Chris says vintage will hold value. Everything else, not as much. Mike says, do you think they will change the card configuration base set? I don't know. Don't know for sure, Mike. John Wee from Center Stage says, we'll see what big announcements come out at the Mint. There are big, there are, I've heard there's some announcements coming out at the Mint very soon. That's next weekend. Yes, looking forward to that, John. Philly Joe says, what is the 10X of the hobby? Cards or collectibles? I think it's cards. I think they're talking about sports cards. I think they're talking about the whole market size. But the card market or sports cards and memorabilia? fair question i believe cards yeah i think so too i think so too uh they have they have a division now called trading cards i think they have a uh like a, a not a ceo but like a manager of the trading card division and so, not to get meta i think it's all going to blur and we're going to end up with experiential giveaways with athletes anyway so we'll save that for another time <laughs> and mike says i think the increase in revenue will be bigger than the production costs well that's it's a for-profit business, so it likely will be. And Mike clarifies it is cards. Mike was at the Tops conference when that was said, so I'm going to uh, trust that he uh, heard correctly. Uh, thank you, Mike, for clarifying. All right, Danny, we're at the end of the comments, so thank you to the chat. Very engaging, high-quality comments tonight. 
Uh, Jake's Toe just jumped in, though, Daniel. Let's see what Dave, Jake's Toe says. I've always seen retail as just base cards with little value and something for kids to open cheap. Keep it that way to introduce kids to the hobby. Mass produce it if they want. Seems seems like a, a decent start for a strategy. I'm not saying that's the whole strategy, but that's a decent start, I think, uh, Jake. What about you, Danny? Anything uh, on that? Um, yeah, I, I mean, you know, just in general, I think, keeping the kids in the hobby, but, but don't underestimate fanatics is a for-profit business and, and we're, there's going to be a lot of change coming. It doesn't mean it's bad, but there is a lot of change coming. The worst change, which I think is inevitable is that fanatics IPOs and goes public on the trading card side. And all of a sudden uh, they're more interested in, in pleasing the retail investor than they are, the what would have been the private investor and the other stakeholders who is basically everybody else in the hobby from LCS owners to distributors to collectors to flippers to card show dealers to supply manufacturers and you know the whole ecosystem uh I think suffers when 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 and inevitably they go public what do you think I think you're right, but I think that already the leagues are heavily financially invested in them. They they are already involved in gambling, so to, to it's I think it'll be a little bit tricky from a business standpoint to separate where they are now as they're growing the whole sports arm of their business. So I, we might have a a, a couple year window <laughs> before, but you know, to, to to see what happens. And to be fair, they do seem to be taking it slow in, in the changes. And are they taking it slow in the changes because that's the strategy or because the licenses haven't turned over yet? I think by not changing Bowman, they sent a clear message that, you know, they're not going to touch anything right away. Yeah. That's that's my personal opinion. Okay. All right. All right. Mike says, uh, Fanatics is doing some great things targeting younger generation, like redemptions for players to follow you on social media coming out in big league baseball. Yeah, we talked about that uh, a couple weeks ago on the show. Uh, when we had Matt Terwell, uh, uh, sorry, Al Terwell on the show from Slabstat, uh, who kind of reported on that. So, yeah, that was, uh, I think that's a really cool thing that they're doing. Followbacks, they're calling. You can get a followback on social media from certain athletes. Definitely cool. Laura says, your kids of the 60s, 70s, 80s are different than the kids of today. They sure are. They, yes, they sure are. are. All right, Danny. Um, this has been fun. We're uh, we're six minutes into overtime already, so I'm ready to wrap up. But um, anything is there anything else on your mind? Anything else you'd like to chat about? We don't have to wrap up yet, but we can chat. Final comments. Get them in, Danny. What do you? What do you? Anything else on your mind? I thought we were just getting started. I'm ready for another couple of hours now. Uh, Jeremy, I want to thank you so much for having me on. Thank you so much for talking Hobby News Daily. Uh, you've been a friend on and off camera, and I just really appreciate the opportunity to be on tonight. I appreciate those comments, and you're more than welcome, and it's a, it's great to have you. I, I'm excited for Hobby News Daily and to see, uh, just just to consume it. I just want to, I just want to, you know, consume it and uh, take it in, so... I'm I'm excited for that and uh, congratulations to you. But but uh, the biggest congratulations to you on it is your ability to recruit people to join you and to do it. And then I want to thank them for contributing what is I believe going to be high quality, low drama content. And I don't I, I hate bringing that back in, but you know it's nice to get a you know journalistic uh just 
factual, straight to the point sort of uh, resource out there. But again, for those that like to consume and, and, and be aware of the, the dramatic content out there, have at it. There's a plethora of options out there for you to, to, to consume. So, and I consume some myself, you know, I just want to know what's going on. So. Well, thank you. I really appreciate the kind words. You, yeah, well, well-deserved and you're welcome. Uh, Jeremy says, I think retail is underrated, has great value. Yeah, I mean, and as Jer- as his name is Jeremy Fowell-Fiebel, as he said, he's a collector. It's not business for him. So that that's consistent. Mark Santucci, thank you for the high rating on the episode. Mike says, thanks, Danny and Jeremy. Already signed up for the newsletter. Bobby Burrell, Bobby ND, best wishes for Danny. Best wishes, Danny. Thanks for the interesting show. Thank you, Bobby, for your contribution. Chris says, Fowl Ball, agree. Most of my huge hits have been retail, including a Kobe Bryant autograph. Matthew, here for the long form. There you go. Thanks, Matt, for still being here. And if you didn't, I said it earlier, but go back go back and watch the episode, guys, with Matthew, Matthew Rocker on the show. Not too, The last couple of months, we, we had him on. What was that, Matthew? The Burbank show was in, it was like late, mid-February, we had Matthew on. Great episode. Uh, check it out, guys. And Laura, thank you very much for a very pleasant evening. Thank you, Laura, for that comment. Danny. Thank you for joining everybody else tomorrow, 9.30 Eastern. I will be back on these airwaves with Josh Madigan from Hockey Cards Gong Show. Special guest, Mitch Grotman. He is a fanatic for the Cup Hockey Cards. We're going to be doing covering the, the PWCC Weekly Hockey Auction. Thank you, Chris C. Appreciate that. Matthew, thanks again, everybody. I'm about to end this. And with that, this very enjoyable episode is now over. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.